Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park The world hadn't seen a dragon in centuries until my children were born. The Dothraki hadn't crossed the sea. Any sea. They did for me. I was born to rule the Seven Kingdoms. And I will. You'll be ruling over a graveyard if we don't defeat the Night King. Keeping the torch lit through the long night, it's Game of Microphones. With Lord Sterling, Sir Duncan, and Lady Rachel of House Fox. Good morrow, common folk and red priests and priestesses, and welcome to Game of Microphones. I'm Lord Sterling, Sir Duncan, guardian of the mystic sphere. I'm Lady Rachel of House Fox, keeper of the secret cornerstone. And this is episode 105. On this episode of our series rewatch, we're covering Game of Thrones, season 7, episode 3, The Queen's Justice. And in case you're not already aware, this series rewatch is from the perspective of someone who's current on the show. That means you've seen up through season 7. If not, there's still time to drink a cup of poisoned wine and confess your darkest sin to the brother-slash-lover of the evil monster woman who burned your house to the ground so you don't have to hear these spoilers. Warning. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. Who drank the cup of poisoned wine? Olena. Oh, that's tough. <laughs> Who drank the cup of poisoned wine? <laughs> I was like, wait. <laughs> It's like the very last scene. So many things happen in this episode too. Like the, oh my God, we're at a breakneck pace in season seven on Game of Thrones oh, for sure. Seriously, like John's and on Game of Microphones. Yeah, 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 definitely. John's already at um, Dragonstone, for instance. Like he just left yeah. last episode, so you know, like that's yeah. huge. He teleported. Yeah. What? Uh, what's your number five? You want to start with yours? Yeah. Um, my number five is actually. Euron Greyjoy in the throne room presenting his gifts. And I'm not really a fan of Euron Greyjoy. I think I've said that a few times. Yeah, I think Um, so. (laughs) But I actually like him in this scene. And (laughs) I like his banter with Cersei. I like it with Jamie. Um, Oh, my God. Cersei's dress. 
Yeah, is with those spiky insane. shoulders. Insane. I'm like, don't go hugging her. She's yeah. gonna poke your eye out. <laughs> Seriously, that thing is nuts. Loved it. She looks amazing. I mean, I can't stand Cersei as a character, but my goodness, her outfits. Even when she's talking to the guy from the Iron Bank, she has a different dress on. Oh, yeah. Tycho Nestoris. I missed it. That scene. I didn't notice. Yeah. So this this dress that she has on in the throne room is like her whole like chest uh, area, um, like her collarbone area and her shoulders are covered in the spikes. Yeah. Sparkling and spikes. Yeah, like I almost want to say they look like dragon glass. Like it, they sparkle like yeah. the way the dragon glass does. Um, and then in the totally. scene with the the dude from Bravos, it's just on her shoulders. Oh, I didn't realize she was wearing a different dress in this scene. Yeah, so we we start this particular scene with Cersei. She's sitting up at the in the throne room and. They're all clapping as Euron brings the prisoners down the aisle. A grand procession as the murderer of Marcella is paraded into the Red Keep. <laughs> and we see that um, Ilaria is looking pretty rough. So is her daughter. <laughs> and so is Yara. <laughs> oh, yeah. They're all looking pretty rugged for sure. <laughs> Euron is very pleased with himself and. You know, please accept this gift on behalf of all of your loyal subjects to the iron in the Iron Islands. And I'm like, really? Yeah, loyal subjects, my ass. Um, I don't think any of you are loyal. So he continues, like, what other man could give you justice for your murdered daughter? And Alaria just looks so pissed off and Alaria looks up at Cersei and she spits on the floor and Cersei looks like she's about ready to like freaking beat the shit out of her. <laughs> when I saw Cersei in this scene, I thought that she looked like she was just in total ecstasy. Like this person who killed her daughter has been finally delivered right there in front of her. And she just wants to just rip her to shreds, tear her to bloody ribbons. She can't wait to get her hands around that neck. <laughs> yeah, totally. Exactly. So Cersei looks over at Euron and basically tells him, you know, you're a, a, a true friend of the crown and you're going to get what your heart's desire is. Because we know at this point that Euron wants to marry her. Although he has said he wants to marry Danny. Yes. And Jamie is not looking very pleased about this whole situation. Oh, hell no. He's so pissed. <laughs> so I love how Cersei does this to Euron, though. Um, she says that basically I'm going to marry you when the war is won. So he's not getting what he wants until he remains loyal to her throughout the entire war. <laughs> Hilarious. He's like a dog chasing a hot dog on a string or something. I'm just hoping that Euron stays far away from Danny because we know that she's what he really desires. And she gave her whole speech to John. Well, a little later we'll get to it, but she talks about like being raped and being defiled and all this stuff. And I'm just like, oh God, that's the type of shit that I could see happening with Euron again. So just keep her away from Euron. Yeah, that was a super intense moment of Danny, like how she perceives her. Um, history of becoming where she, or, you know getting to where she is now yeah for sure using words like rape and defile it's pretty uh, pretty intense yeah yeah 
So I, I love Cersei's demeanor. She's like, and you'll have your heart's desire. Like she's totally playing it. She doesn't want anything to do with this scumbag. Yeah, for sure. She'll just like string him and along all her. the way until the end and of the war. And then she's like, thank you for the armada. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Just steal his fleet, you know. So Cersei stands up and addresses the crowd with Euron Greyjoy commanding our naval forces and Jaime Lannister leading our armies. The sons and daughters of Westeros shall defend our country. And everyone starts cheering. And I love Jaime here because Euron is all about this. He's like the love of the people. There's nothing like it. And he goes, these same people were like spitting on Cersei a week ago. Yeah, totally. And like throwing shit on her. So they'll turn on you like in an instant. Sorry, I snapped when I did that. Oh, that's all right. That's fun. <laughs> um, so <laughs> Euron is just a psychopath. I think they actually kind of make a good couple, just not for like the, the Iron Throne. Because right, they're both right. just batshit crazy. Batshit crazy. Um... So we asked Jamie for some advice and Jamie's like, oh my advice. God. does she like it gentle or rough? A finger in the bum. Oh my God. <laughs> Made me think of my friend, one of my friends from, uh, from college. He, he would say, I've got me finger stuck in me bum. Oh I my God. I don't know why it just made me think of that. <laughs> Jamie looks so fucking pissed and, and, uh, you're on this shushes and not now. We'll talk later. Yeah, and Jamie is just like, can't believe what he's hearing. He looks just like totally <laughs> dumbfounded. It's uh, hilarious. Oh my God. It's so funny. Yeah, Euron is just like taking shots at Jamie the whole time too, like grinning and smirking that he's, you know, going to get what he wants. Cersei after the, with the war is done and he's like, everybody's cheering for him and he's saying to Jamie, there's nothing quite like it, is it? The love of the people, I suppose you wouldn't know. And shot at Jamie's honor because. Yeah, uh, the, the Kingslayer. Yeah, exactly. And uh, he says, if you turn on us, they'll cheer, they'll cheer to see your head mounted on a spike. And I was like, ooh, foreshadowing betrayal. Like what I've been saying, you know, you're on turning on Cersei in favor of Danny when it counts. So here's a little foreshadow of that potentially happening, happening. Jamie mentioning you're on turning on them, which I thought was kind of interesting. <laughs> and he just looks like a maniac the whole time, right? <laughs> he never blinks <laughs> like ever. <laughs> yeah. And his eyes are always super wide, too. Yeah. Very, very bugged out. Very animated. He's funny, man. Just total maniac. I do really like him in this particular scene. Um, but yeah, that's that's my number five. You want to just week. keep going with the Cersei stuff while we're talking about it and get it all out of the way? Yeah, we can totally do that. Cool. Let's start with just a couple minutes before where we picked up here in this scene and talk about Euron parading Yara and Ilaria through the streets. Okay. Because that was pretty crazy, right? It kind of reminded me of the shame walk with everybody... Um, like dumping stuff all over them and everything like that, you know, so gross. Except it's the exact opposite. Oh, well, I guess it's not because they're throwing shit at um, the prisoners. Yeah, yeah, basically, yeah. Being led to the to, to the Red Keep. But they're cheering a Greyjoy. Yeah, because he's, uh, he's recovered the enemies who killed the princess, you know what I mean? Yes. Yeah, and so, yeah, it's weird cheering for a Greyjoy, though. Yeah, it's super weird. And of course, he's uh, he's being fucking creepy as hell about it. He's like, I have to be honest. It's making me hard. <laughs> like, Ew. oh, my God. 
And then he's mocking Theon hilariously. His face when he before he jumps overboard and his his uh, his goofy uh, voice. He's like, "Oh no!" He's like, "What a twat!" <laughs> that, that cracked me up. That was pretty funny. That was so funny. Yeah, and then when he when he gets to the throne room, I thought it was interesting. He rides right in on a horse, just like Tywin did. Yeah, I noted that as well. Yeah, so he's like he's drag he's walking on, uh he's riding in on a horse like Tywin. He's dragging Yara, Ilaria, and Tyene on collared ropes like Ramsay did to Rickon a few episodes ago as he rode out to the battlefield. Remember that? Yeah, I think it's just Yara in the collared rope. Oh, okay then. Yeah, they are, yeah. And then um it also reminded me of the way that Danny was dragging along the wine merchant uh, naked. Oh yeah. The yucky you know? wine naked merchant. <laughs> yeah. 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 So that kind of reminded me of that. And they, they walk into the throne room and Ilaria sees the mountain standing there who killed Oberyn. And, uh, I'm like, God damn. She's like, oh, you know, there he is the monster. She hates this guy. Right. Well, I think she was surprised to see him there because I think she expected that he died. Dead, that yeah, day. totally. Cause she knows Oberyn poisoned the blade. Right. Yes, because she was standing right there when he when his steward was his doing it. Squire was yes wiping that thing down totally. So I'm like, damn, Ilaria sees the mountain. That's pretty intense just on its own. And then um, I was thinking, whoa, is this our first time seeing Gregor in season seven? He, um, yes, I don't remember seeing him in the other couple episodes we've covered. Yeah, I don't think so either. Um, so that's kind of cool. And his armor is so fucking badass, right? Yeah. Oh, my God. I love like what you mentioned last week, I believe, is the throne room is painted black. Right. Or the week before. Um, all of their armor is black and silver now. Cersei's in black. Cersei's in black. And, silver. and I feel like. It's perfect for her to be all in black because she's now lost all three of her children. Yeah. So she's like, like in Olena. perpetual mourning. Yeah. Just like uh, the way Olena was also. Mm-hmm. Who remains in black. Yeah. She's in black this episode, too, when she dies. That's totally. right. Totally. Yeah. And I love the way that his helm looks. It's like kind of twists in the front in front of his eyes and everything like that. And he just looks so intense, like so huge standing there, you know? <laughs> oh, my God. So um, after the whole scene in the throne room, it cuts down to to revenge time in the dungeons. <laughs> and uh, yeah, this is my number two, actually. OK, so you want to talk about it now? Uh, we or totally we can, can. Yeah, sure. Let's, up to you. let's do it. Let's just talk, go all the way through Cersei if you want. Yeah, we can go ahead and talk about my number two now. Awesome. I chose this as my number two because... We really, really see Cersei for who she is without her children. She has lost all, all of her soul. And I, I, I think about like, if this happened to me and I was imagining things to do to my enemy, as far as like killing them, it's hard for me to even like think about those things, period. The way what she comes up with for Alaria is so mental. <laughs> yeah, it's basically everything that she's been imagining. Remember, like she's thinking of Marcella as she's talking to Jamie and talking about her face collapsing and all yeah. this horrible stuff. 
imagining it. And so she's going to make Alaria live it. Right. Kind of and, like how we talked about Ramsay, Ramsay, um, like inflicting the word bastard on John because he knows it knows it would hurt him. Um, same thing here. Cersei's just doing things that she knows will hurt Ilaria. Totally. Um, so Cersei, she has lipstick on and I immediately noticed it as a first time first time through i was oh, like really? why I, is she wearing lipstick i did not that's interesting <laughs> yeah she does not wear lipstick any other time throughout this whole series and it's like pink lipstick it's pink like Cersei's not gonna wear pink lipstick come on right 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 maybe like dark something dark but not like bubblegum pink yeah um, so I immediately knew something was up, but I did not make the mental connection as a first time watcher that Alaria Al- also, ha- I remembered that Alaria had lipstick on, or I noticed Alaria had lipstick on as a first time viewer of that episode. So when she kissed Tyene, I was like, oh, fuck. Yeah. Like, holy shit. <laughs> oh no, right? it is there is a reason she's wearing lipstick <laughs> and it goes back to that. What I mentioned last week, how, um, Nymeria whip girl got hung by her own whip, strangled by her own whip. You know, Obara got imp- impaled on her own spear. This weapon that Ilaria has inflicted, um, had, had used against Cersei killing her daughter, um, is now being used against Ilaria herself. The same method, clever Kyburn figuring out that it was the, the, um, the long, Farewell. Good, good farewell. Yeah. <laughs> oh man. Last week we thought it was tears of of lease or something. So I'm going to replace it in our pod because I'm still editing last week's podcast. Oh, perfect. Yeah. <laughs> I'll fix it before it goes out. Awesome. Yeah. Tears of lease was used somewhere else though. Right? Joffrey or something. Joffrey. Oh no, that was the strangler. Strangler. Fuck yeah. I don't know. It's I don't know. Tears of lease. Doesn't Ferris say something about tears of lease? Maybe I'm not remember. Okay. Anyways. Um, you know, Cersei is, she's very excited about this whole situation. She's smiling. She's starting to look a little bit like you're on Greyjoy. Her art, her eyes are super wide. And, um, Oh God. And she talks about, she was there that day when Sir Gregor crushed her lover's head. Yeah. I close my eyes and I can hear the sound of Oberyn's skull breaking. And Alaria just like lunges towards her and kind of like shakes her head off because I'm sure she's can, can't get that sound out of her head either. Yeah. And Cersei mentions the sound of Alaria's scream. I never heard a sound like that. And I thought that was great, like sort of meta commentary because it was such a powerful performance as the actress that who played Ilaria. So I thought it was really cool. It's like complimenting the actress within the show itself for her excellent performance in that scene. That is totally cool. recognition she deserves for that amazing scream. Oh, big time. And so she, Cersei kind of continues, um, you know, that's true love. And uh. Oberyn looks so beautiful that day. No one moved like him. No one had the skill of a spear like Prince Oberyn did. No Even one. Gregor couldn't stop him. Yeah, and it pans over to Gregor looking ominous, just lurking in the <laughs> against and the dead. wall there. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, if only Oberyn could have just kept himself in check and just yeah. 
killed him and not taunted him. Left poor Sir Gregor to die. (laughs) Poor Sir Gregor. Poor Sir Gregor. (laughs) (laughs) So funny. And Tyene is watching all of this like, what the fuck? Oh my God, Cersei is crazy. I want to go home. I want to go home. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I think she might have some idea that she might be the one to die in this situation. Yeah. It wouldn't surprise me. She knows that Cersei's daughter has been killed and like, she, she's never met Cersei before this, right? Ilaria has. So Tyene is like, oh my God, this bitch is crazy. I had no idea what I was getting myself into. <laughs> yeah. You know? She's, she's fucked for sure. Yeah. Um, oh God. And then Cersei starts talking about when her only daughter was taken from her. Foreshadowing um, what's about to happen. Mm-hmm. I loved this. I fed her at my own breast, though they told me to give her to the wet nurse. I couldn't bear to see her in another woman's arms. Yeah, she's like, the, and that's like, that's the crux of it. It's that Cersei has a mother complex, you know, since Tyrion killed her mother, it made her hate Tyrion. She didn't have a mother. She, you know, she's obsessed with being a mother and providing that for her, her children. Like she says next, she's like, I never got to have a mother, but Marcella did. She was mine and you took her from me. And then there's like a moment of childlike innocence as she asks why. She's like, why did you do that? You know, Just it's like, a chink in her armor. She yeah. I don't think she meant to ask that question because she totally catches herself and kind of like clears her throat and recomposes herself. Yeah. It's like, and then continues. Yeah. Good call. Good call. That was a really poignant moment when she asked that. Why did you do that? You know, it's just like, damn, this is nuts. That's her emotion coming out. Like, why would you kill Marcella? She was so innocent in the situation. Yeah, exactly. And and this, you know, to my point, it doesn't matter if it, it, yeah. she caught herself. She's like, it doesn't matter why you did it. The fact is, is that you've done it. And now I have you here and your daughter is right across from you. And the <laughs> and- way she said that, it doesn't matter now. It reminded me of the hound last week burying you know the 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 bodies and remember before actually before he buries them Beric asks how do you think it happened right and he's like it doesn't matter now <laughs> the, um, oh yeah that's right same type thing they're both just trying to block it out and not think about it and not think about any role they played in it or you know things like that um but yeah Cersei's like you can't imagine how it feels to lose a daughter unless you've lost a child and that was like the first clue of what what her plan was, you know, like, you're going to know what it feels like. <laughs> it's like, God damn. I know. And I just. She walks over to Tyene and. She's talking about how beautiful Tyene is, and she really is so beautiful. <laughs> this, yeah. this actress, you know, the she has these big eyes and they're just like welded with tears at the moment. She has like those pillowy lips. She's like just. Gorgeous and perfect Dornish beauty, as Cersei says. Yes, yes. Um, and Cersei continues, I imagine she's your favorite. Now, I had a question with this because I know that they're a little bit more expanded on in the books. Mm. Does Ilaria have more children with Oberyn? Yeah, actually, in the books, Ilaria Sand has four different uh, children, Elia Sand, Obella Sand, Doria Sand, and Lorezza Sand. And Tyene is actually um, the child of the bastard child of Oberyn and Septa in the books. Okay, that's what I was kind of thinking, because in the show, Tyene is Ilaria's only daughter or only child that we are we know introduced of, at least. to. Yeah, yeah. So, and there's never, 
really mention that she has more. Uh, here, Cersei kind of implies that she has other kids because she's like, I imagine she's your favorite, right? Yeah, we're not supposed to, but still, we're only human. We love who we love. And that's what Ilaria had said to Jamie in Dorne. Remember when she tells him that, like, I know you're into incest, basically. We wouldn't judge you for that down here. We're only human. We love who oh, we that's love. that's right. Yeah, I forgot so about that. Crazy that Cersei is, like, saying that to her now. <laughs> The tide has turned, you know, the table has turned. Now she's the prisoner as opposed to Jamie. Yeah. And so Alaria is like trying to get a sentence out. Yeah, desperately. <laughs> I'm sorry. I can't understand you. The gag makes things difficult to understand. Uh, it must be very frustrating. Yeah. So brutal. Oh, damn. So then Cersei kind of continues about making choices that she chose to murder Cersei's daughter. Uh, you must have felt powerful after you made that choice. Oh, and she's so Oh, brutal. my God. Do you feel powerful now? <laughs> this is when it transitions to the bizarre and we start to learn how deranged Cersei really is. Exactly. And just how far she's willing to take it and how. Yeah, how gone how she, she lays is. at night thinking about ways to kill her enemies. Yeah. She goes, I don't sleep very well. Not at all, really. Yeah. <laughs> I lie in bed and I stare at the canopy and imagine ways of killing my enemies. Oh, my goodness. And I, we know that Alaria is kind of at the top of her list because Alaria killed her only daughter and she was totally innocent. I mean, Joffrey was a total cunt. Tommen yeah. was totally Cersei's fault and she refuses to deal with that, you know, that fact at this mm -hmm. part of the show. But Alaria single-handedly took out her daughter. Yep. She has someone to blame for that death. Like, I know she blames Tyrion for killing Joffrey, but I and think... And her mom. And her mom. And her mom. But I think deep and down... Cersei, <laughs> well, that was that was a true one, but um, <laughs> you know, the first two about Tyrion, it's more of just like out of frustration because mm, she yeah, knows yeah, that yeah. there are a lot of people that hated Joffrey. Anyone could have done it um, it wasn't it was even Tyrion, you know, it's like so, someone else did do it. <laughs> that's true. And then, um, you know, killing their mother. Well, that's total innocence. You know, it's baby's not at fault for that. Totally. Um, so Alaria has been maybe, I think, a target of all of Cersei's children's deaths in a way because Cersei can't process the other two or find someone to truly blame for them other than, you know, herself in a way. But right, Alaria right. killed her daughter. She did it. So personally, personally, like there, she can point the finger and she can blame yep. this one on her. Um, you know, so she she goes on, you know, thinking about crushing her, crushing her skull the way Sir Gregor crushed Oberyn's. It's too fast, though. It's way too fast. It's too you fast. The way to go. You know what that reminded me of. That scene from The Dark Knight where the Joker is like, <clears throat> why I don't know why I use a knife. Guns, Guns are, are too quick. quick. You can't, you can't savor, savor all the little emotions. Little <laughs> emotions. That's so like yeah. totally where Cersei's going here. She just like wants to savor Ilaria dying and suffering and, you know, just be too fast to crush her head and just end it that quickly. It's very Joker-esque. 
So I think this was an intentional like reference to the Joker potentially. And it just also shows you like how, what a mad dog Cersei is at this point. Totally. Um, so she continues, well, that's too fast, but I thought about having them crush her daughter's skull. <laughs> but the thought of this lovely face cracking open like a duck egg, it's oh. just not right. I was like, oh my God. Oh what my a God. description. Ugh. And Cersei's like over touching Tyene's face and she looks over at Ilaria and she gets this, like you said, kind of like look of ecstasy and she's mm-hmm. about ready to, you know, finally get the revenge and she grabs Tyene's face and plants a big kiss on her oh lips. Oh my god, and Tyene knows immediately too. She's like, Mama! Mama. Oh. oh my god. Remember There's... last episode? Mama, mama, mama. Mama, mama, mama. <laughs> a little different in this context. Mama! <laughs> oh my god. Ugh. And so then enters Kyburn. Has he been standing there the whole time? I don't know. He's, who knows? Creepy Kyburn. I feel like he wasn't there and then disappeared, but I think he might be standing next to Sir Gregor the whole time. I, I can't think remember. You are underest- underestimating his sneakiness. I fear you're underestimating the sneakiness, sir. <laughs> yeah, so they're they're both crying and Kyburn walks over and hands her a cloth and she wipes off her lipstick just like Alaria did. Yep. And then the vial. Um you know, and, and all, all the while, Alaria is like falling to her knees, watching her daughter. She has these massive tears in her eyes. Yeah, their eyes, both of their eyes are so wet. Uh, wet. Ilaria and Tyene and Cersei Ugh. just casually drinks the antidote. <laughs> yes. Kyber is the cleverest man I know. Clever enough to learn what poison you use to murder Marcella. And Kyber's like, yep, the long farewell. Uh-huh. Yep, that's the one. And Cersei... I don't know if she already knows the answers to this question. How Probably. long does the poison take? Well, it's difficult to say, Your Grace. Hours, days, it depends on the subject's constitution. <laughs> but death is but certain. Death is certain. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes, Your Grace. Quite certain. So they're just freaking <laughs> out. And then this is this is where we see Cersei's like total fuckery i mean like ramsey sociopathy just sadistic horrible i mean like okay watch her die okay but you're gonna watch her rot you're gonna live out you the rest of your days here yeah you're gonna i'm not gonna kill you yeah she's like you're gonna experience the horror that i've been imagining about marcella but you're actually gonna see it yeah, and live out the you. rest of your days here. That means that Cersei has no intention on killing Alaria. Right, she'll be there ever. for decades. <laughs> ever. I wonder if Alaria will ever be freed. Like, both oh. after Cersei gets, like, killed or something, she, Alaria, and Septa Unella are both, like, freed from, from the black cells or something. Do you think Septa Unella is still alive? I don't know, man. Cersei told her like, oh no, you're not dying today. You know, she's probably still around. Gregor's like plaything or something, you know? Oh, God damn. Yeah. Make sure the guards change the torches every few hours. I don't want her to miss a thing. Yeah. I'm like, oh my fuck. (laughs) Next level psychopathic twisted extreme shit, Cersei. 
Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park Mm. Damn. And as Cersei walks out of the chamber and in a dramatic moment, they rush each other and they're just inches away. Oh my God. Yeah. The two prisoners dangling from their chains attached to opposite walls, trying to reach each other. Best they can. So intense. They're still gagged too. She didn't even take the gag out. Whimpering through their gags. And oh man, the imagery of that moment is so intense. And the music starts and oh, damn. Yep. Do, 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 And I'm like, oh my God. It's like and the Twilight Zone. Cersei's lost her fucking mind. And all that killing makes her horny. She's got to go rape Jamie now. It's her turn to rape Jamie. <laughs> Remember in the sept over Joffrey's dead body? She was like, oh, no, yeah. no, don't. And now Jamie is like, no, don't. She's <laughs> totally switches it on Jamie here. I thought it was very interesting in Jamie's quarters. Um, he sits down and he removes the gold hand and he places it on the table and pours himself a glass of wine. And Cersei just swings the door open and um, starts walking towards him. And Jamie reluctantly, like, kind of starts having to put his hand back on. Like, oh, and he shit. seemed irritated at that. That's interesting. Yeah, we, there's little cracks in Jamie's affection for Cersei at this point. We're starting to see that. You know, like he's annoyed by her a little as she comes in. All these people are telling him like, you know, she's she'll be the death of you. Like she's horrible, et cetera. Eventually it, he's going to realize that he's totally brainwashed and the brainwashing is going to break and he's going to go as we see. I always equate him taking his hand off and having to put it back on as the way a woman feels when she takes off her bra at the end of the day. And uh, then she, if she has to like go back out to the store, it's like, damn it. That's hilarious. <laughs> to like put this back on. That's so funny. <laughs> I'm not the only woman that thinks that way. I'm sure. But yeah, that's, for sure. that's the feeling I think that comes across Jamie's face is like, fuck, this thing is uncomfortable. It's at the end of the day. I can't wait to take it off. And then Cersei comes back in and he feels obligated to put it back on. Yeah. And she actually takes it from him and sets it on the counter or on oh, the table. Interesting. Yeah. And then starts making out with him. She's making out with have... something. Yep. Well, <laughs> then that just goes south from there. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Metaphorically speaking. Then we cut to the morning and there's a knock at the door and Cersei's twin handmaiden is out yeah, there and this Jamie's is, like you cannot have anyone seeing us like this and she's like what are you talking about I am the queen I can do whatever the fuck I want it's good to be the queen right <laughs> it's good to be the king this is why yeah I want to be the queen Mel Brooks and he's kind of like embarrassed I think Jamie 
Yeah. At first he is, but then I think it's like, he's like relieved, like, oh, we can do whatever we want now. Once the door closes and the handmaiden leaves and everything's fine, a wave of relief seems to like pass over his face. Um, And this is the handmaiden who's been in the series the whole time, basically. She's the one that narked out Tyrion and Shay. Yep. She's the one whose hair has been mimicking Cersei the whole time. She also narked out Sansa. She also narked out Sansa when she... Yeah, got her period. Damn. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, so this chick's been around for all of all of it, really. Kind of a cool gig as an actress. Totally. <laughs> Cersei's little right-hand handmaiden. <laughs> uh, who gets to look like her all the time and mimicking her hairstyles and stuff like that. It's pretty cool. Yeah, so Cersei makes it clear that the handmaiden is aware that they need fresh sheets for the bed. Yeah. <laughs> and she goes, at once, your grace, and scurries off. Hilarious. Hilarious. So then we get to Tycho Nestoris. You yeah. want to talk a little bit about this? Sure. So Tycho Nestoris has arrived from the Iron Bank, and he wants to talk with Cersei about paying off the crown's debt. God damn, they've had a lot of debt that's accrued over all this time because Robert has engaged in extreme profligacy, as he mentions. Profligacy. Um, yeah, which was that word that we got from Loris's trial a couple of weeks ago. Mm-hmm. Um, reckless extravagance, it means. And we know that's the case with his extreme tournaments that he was holding. And even Ned was like, this is ridiculous. Like, uh, don't hold this tournament in my honor. I want it. No part of it. Just an unnecessary expense for the crown, you know? So uh, he he's con- he's congratulating Cersei about <laughs> being the first ruling queen in the Seven Kingdoms and complimenting her on her accomplishment and everything. And Cersei is not playing any games, you know. She, she first she claims the Sept of Baylor was a tragic accident, which is interesting. Uh, a tragic accident. Yeah, like goddamn, she's <laughs> who's gonna believe that? You know, what a coincidence. And, uh, <laughs> and then, um, she's basically playing the Tywin angle. She's like being very Tywin. She just gets right to the point and Tycho's like, oh, your father never minced words either. Right. And so she's, he's talking about how their vaults are empty and they have a, a lot of debt and the, uh, they're surrounded by enemies and their wealthiest allies even are now their enemies. And um, she's like, I get it. The Iron Bank wants to bet on a winner. And we have that same conversation where they're like claiming they don't bet. Remember? <laughs> yeah. It's pretty funny. And uh, he even questions Euron Greyjoy's loyalty to her and saying, oh, and she's like, Euron's loyal to me. And he's like, for now. And I was like, ooh, more foreshadowing of betrayal. Um, all this for Euron betrayal that I've been picking up on and, uh, Oh, I think he's for sure going to betray Cersei. Yeah. It wouldn't surprise me. Right. So he, Tycho brings up the three grown dragons and how, how well are his wooden ships, Euron's ships going to fare against fire breathing dragons anyway. And Cersei hints that, that they have a plan for the dragons. Um, she says they may not be as invulnerable as some think, I'm like, oh, fuck. And <clears throat> so they're talking a little bit about Danny and how the Iron Bank's profits are, have been have gone down since she's eliminated the slave trade, etc. Um, 
And basically it comes down to Cersei's like, listen, bitch, the Lannisters pay their debts, you know, <laughs> and uh, do, do former slaves or Dothraki. Um, and he's like, damn, you are your, your father's daughter. She's like, give me fucking two weeks, a fortnight and stay in King's Landing as my honored guest. And by the time you return to Bravos, my debt will be paid in full. And oh, I'm like, holy God. shit. All of a sudden, Cersei is like this mega badass, like Tywin. Um, and I'm like thinking like, it seems like kind of like a bit of an unrealistic character development <laughs> from like the incompetent, emotionally driven Cersei of previous seasons. But for the sake of the accelerated timeline of the TV show, I'll just go with it. I, I think at this point, though, Alari, or not Alaria, Cersei has gotten some revenge on her, her vendettas, if you will. So she's <laughs> calmed down a little bit. No, I think she's confident because she finally got like rewarded for staying up all night thinking about. I also think that right. she's what it the 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 high garden takeover and leaving Casterly Rock is already in, in motion. motion. Yeah, totally. So she knows that they're basically taking all of High Garden's gold. Yep. At this point. Oh yeah, that's and yeah, that's what she's referring to. <laughs> totally. Whatever, you know, so this is a moment where I think she's she's coming off a really high high. She just got to kill Tyene. She just woke up and had a liberating moment with her brother as far as like basically putting it out there that they're sleeping together and they have <laughs> right. been forever. Right. And now and now she can pay the entire debt back in full because they're taking High Garden tomorrow. You know, so I think her confidence well, maybe displaced as far as her character. I think in on that day and that moment, she was super confident in herself yeah, because I of agree. everything that happened leading up to it. For sure. I do love how he says, your father never minced words either. Yeah, totally. I love that <laughs> like play on, um, you know, like he didn't beat around the bush, basically. Right, right, right. Yeah, he was, yeah, Tywin was intense, man. Straight to the point, for sure. His words cut like a dagger with a jagged edge. 100%. <laughs> yeah. I nice. think that's all of Cersei. Yeah, I think so. Okay, so we need to do your number five. Oh, right. My number five is the opening scene, and Tyrion and John reunited. Okay, cool. This is my number four. Perfect. But it's actually all of this first Dragonstone stuff. So cool, yeah. Same here. Basically, my five and four are Tyrion and John reunited, and then going right into the to the uh, the to him meeting Danny as well. So we can just go right through it. Oh, perfect. That's my that's my number four and my number three. So great. We're talking John arriving to Dragonstone. Oh yes. my god! How exciting is that? Right. It's amazing. And as they're pulling up, I was taking note of the the gorgeous opening shots of, of this area, which is just amazing. What a place that they picked to film or to shoot. Do you and, know um, where it was shot? Yes. Remember, uh, it was it, it was filmed shot at a place in Spain called um, San Juan de Gastelugache. Oh, that's right. I you mentioned said it that. in the last episode. I, I yeah. added it post-production, though, so you didn't get to hear it um, during our oh, conversation. Okay. I was wondering. I, it looked like Portugal to me, so the Iberian coast, yeah, essentially. It's, it's Spain, so yeah. Got it. Okay, cool. Um, so yeah, a really beautiful place. 
and the music is like war drums and mits like really good music. The, it's mixing bits of Reigns of Castamere and maybe a little bit of the Stark theme in here as well. Oh, damn. As Stark is you know, being reunited with Lannister. Um, I think this is the first scene that I did not pay attention to the music. <laughs> oh, wow. That's so funny. It was so good, too. And so... I'm like, wow, this is all moving so fast. John is already at Dragonstone right after having left last episode for Dragonstone and everything. And like, things are just moving, moving big, big time. So they pull up to the shore and John gets out of the boat and starts walking up to Tyrion. <laughs> the bastard of Winterfell. The dwarf of Casterly Rock. I love it. And yeah, and they both kind of stare at each other for a second and then start smiling. <laughs> and I thought, I just love this interaction so much. Like you said, love it. And it just shows how they're both like, they've got a friendly relationship. They're both play- they're happy to see each other. Yeah. And they're both like playful and friendly and they're excited to see each other. And man, they're both just looking great. Tyrion's outfit is great. Very well tailored. John's outfit is fantastic. He's got that amazing new Stark breastplate. Oh my God. I love him. Right. With the two wolves, uh, dire wolves facing each other on the front. And man, it's just glorious. And I wanted to mention uh, our our friend, our co-host, Travis, who comes on the show every once in a while. He's got a badass replica of that, of that breastplate for his, uh, his Jon Snow cosplay. That's crazy. So good. Yeah. Did you, guys- you just see the belt that he just did? No, the I didn't leather see belt. It, yeah. Oh, damn. It has like dragon scales on it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I've seen some of the dragon scale stuff. Yeah. He does uh, like wrist uh, wristbands too. Like, um, yeah. Leather like wrist guard type things. But yeah, he's uh, his new meadery and leather shop is up and running in Milwaukee, Oregon. Uh, Oregon. If you guys are in the area, you should check it out. It's called Weird Leather and Meadery. I'm going to go next time I'm up there. Yeah. I, I frequent Oregon because I went to school there and my aunt and uncle still live up there. Right. Yeah. Check out their store if you guys are in the area. And if not, you can check them out online at weirdleatherandmead.com. That's weird with a spelled weird, spelled kind of weird too. W-Y-R-D. <laughs> weirdleatherandmead.com. Check them out. He has some amazing stuff. Yeah. Very talented. We should get him back on here soon. Yeah, he's going to come on uh, for season eight too with the Yay. with the uh, with the actor from the show who. Oh, shot. that's right. Yeah. Oh, we didn't. I don't think we've talked about that on the podcast yet. We're let's. We should mention it. We're um, start building hype now. We're going to have for an episode in season eight. There's a big battle that was shot over over sixty days. It's going to be the longest battle in cinematic history of consecutive fighting, and there's an actor who shot that that battle. Um, named John Fay. He was, he, he's, he's been on Vikings for a number of years. He fought in this big battle for 60 days with game of Thrones. Holy shit. Yeah. So he's going to be on our show after the big battle this year. And uh, we'll get some inside information about shooting it stories from on set and uh, like sort of an inside perspective for that. So it's looking forward to that. It's going to be really exciting. I think the listeners should uh, probably love it. I'm so excited for that. I cannot wait. Yeah, definitely. So uh, spread the word. It's going to be fun. Fun podcast this year. Definitely. Nice. So. You were pissing off the edge last time I saw you. uh, Yeah, they're talking about how the last time they saw each other was on top of the wall. And uh, John says to him, you picked up some scars along the road. And I thought that was cool because it shows that he's that he's showing concern for Tyrion, that he cares about him. Right. 
and Tyrion has a great response to it's been a long road, but but we're both still here. <laughs> and, and John uh, attests to that. He kind of nods like, yeah. yeah, I died and came back. Oh, man. And he has a scar on his face, too, yeah, from, from the eagle. eagle. Yeah, Arell's eagle. Right. So this is kind of an awkward reuniting here as Tyrion meets um, Davos Seaworth for the first time. Um, they introduce themselves to each other and Tyrion says, ah, the Onion Knight. And I like that because it's just such a cool nickname. It makes I me think it. of Dark Souls. There's a great character in Dark Souls whose armor looks like an onion, <laughs> which is great. Oh, nice. Onion bro, they call him. And uh, so they're talking about how they fought on opposite sides of Blackwater Bay, Tyrion mentions. And Davos says, yeah, unluckily for me. And I'm like, oh, that's right. Ooh, Tyrion kind of killed son his son. Died. Yeah, unfortunately, I think they make that he makes that more clear at some point when they have a little more time to talk. But then he does uh, when they're in King's Landing going to get Gendry. Right, right. Yes, yes, you're right. Tyrion's like, last time I was here, I killed my father. And Davos goes, last time I was here, you you killed killed my my son. son. Oh, so brutal. Oh, so next we get to uh, have Missandei introduced as the queen's most trusted advisor. And I thought that was nice to hear and very well deserved as Missandei has been very loyal to her for the longest um, at this point. She's been with Danny yeah. longer than anybody else in her immediate current circle, um, which is pretty cool, except for some of the Dothraki, which she may have still have retained some from her original um, time with called Drogo. So, um, Missande is very diplomatic here and she it welcomes them to Dragonstone and and tells them that the queen knows it was a long journey and appreciates the effort that they've made on her behalf, which I thought was nice. Uh, it was pretty cool. But then it get things get really tense for a second as she says, if you wouldn't mind handing over your weapons and John's men kind <gasps> of stir a little bit and Davos looks at them. They grab the him. hilts of their swords. Yeah. And John kind of like, like waves them down and glances back at them and and reassures them that everything is still all right and he's like of course you know we that's fine and they all hand over their weapons and uh john gets to meet a dothraki at this moment this huge dothraki guy comes yeah, he over. seems to be like the number one dothraki kind of army guy because he's also in the throne room yeah definitely yeah he's definitely an, an important guy in uh, the dothraki forces so for he sure. kind of like looms over john like yeah. I could fucking rip your throat out in half a second, dude, like yeah. hand over that. And it's kind that of blade. Yep. And it's kind of like an awkward interaction. And Tyrion is watching it and seems to be kind of aware of it. It's that whole like foreign forces thing all of a sudden in Westeros. Dan, uh, John, John's first interaction is kind of, it feels kind of weird because there's this foreign queen coming from Marine and there, she's got these Dothraki troops doing her bidding and it's, it feels like an invasion, you know what I mean? And John makes that more clear later on. So they, the Dothrakis pick up their boat and start carrying it away. I, I was like, what the fuck? Right. And I'm like, Oh shit. And John men's John's men again, seem very nervous that the Dothraki are taking away their means of egress. They're, they're, their way to leave and escape. And John again hangs back for a second and waves them down and reassures them. And I'm just like, Whoa, this is intense. And John is like, 
really going out on a limb here. Like he's in danger big time. I do believe though, that he truly trusts Tyrion. I do too. I think, I think after the conversations that he's had with Sansa, who is married to Tyrion, who always showed her kindness, no matter what was going on, Joffrey beating the crap out of her in the throne room. He was there to stop that. Right. And he Um, makes it a, he makes a point to tell John that he never consummated the marriage in this episode too. It's like, he cares about John and respects him and he wants him to know that he respected Sansa as well and treated yes. her properly. So even in this moment, which, I mean, we get that like in just a couple of seconds here, that conversation, but yep. I think John knows that Tyrion would not like betray him like right off the bat, and you know, I, yeah. like. And I'm hoping that that trust is not misplaced as we're kind of nervous about Tyrion in season eight. I know what feel I mean? more nervous towards Tyrion with Danny than Tyrion with John for some reason. I think once Tyrion finds out that John is the rightful heir to the Iron Throne. Oh, then everything could change. May cause him to maybe like if there is a uproar or like a, or a disconnect with him and Danny, I feel like he may flip over to John's cause. Mm, interesting. If if that happens, you know what I mean? Like it's hard it's hard I don't to know. place. He'd know that she has dragons. I don't see Tyrion going against the dragons. <laughs> maybe they die. Oh, maybe. Maybe. But yeah, so they start walking away out of here and heading up towards the castle and Davos wastes no time chatting up Missande. <laughs> he's like, I gotta talk to this hottie. And so he's he goes up and asks her where she's from and she tells him about Narth and um, and he's like, oh, I hear it's beautiful down there. <laughs> Palm trees and butterflies. <laughs> butterflies. Uh, and she kind of smiles and then he hangs back to to meet up with John again. And he has a great line here, which I thought was hilarious. Right after interacting with Masande, first thing he says to John is, this place has changed. <laughs> he's like, beautiful women and friendly demeanors. It's like the whole new life has been breathed into Dragonstone. When he was here, it was dark and dreary and Stannis was just brooding in the darkness all the time. And red priestesses were just like, <laughs> like you know, hanging all over the place, just making the place all weird. Having and, sex on the table yeah. with Stannis, it was drinking dark. poison. Yeah, basically Dragonstone was dark and full of terrors, you know. <laughs> For that point, for a while. Totally. People you know. getting burned alive on the beaches. Yeah. So we get this amazing, um, epic walkway scene here as they're walking up this amazing bridge, which is a real location. It's so cool. And this is when Tyrion brings up Sansa and um, how she's alive and well. And Does John, she miss me terribly? Yeah. Slightly awkward. Um, because <laughs> he know he he knows that Sansa didn't necessarily like him and i think he's worried about what she may have told john so this is why he brings up the information about how uh, it was a sham marriage and it was unconsummated john john's like he kind of reacts to the knowledge that he didn't <laughs> defile sansa he's like i didn't ask you <laughs> know and Tyrion's i don't like, want to know this shit yeah he's like well it was it, it wasn't <laughs> it was a sham marriage and it wasn't consummated and he he, he continues on to compliment Sansa further, which I liked. He's like, anyway, she's much smart, much smarter than she lets on. She's starting to let on. Yeah. Hilarious response by John. But I thought that was great by Tyrion because we do have him in the early seasons and their time together in King's Landing where he's saying, you may survive all of us, you know, like you may yep. outlast all of us. So I'm he, loyal to my beloved King Joffrey. Right. So Tyrion did 
noticed that she was figuring out what she needed to do and how to play and not compromising herself in the game. And even though Tyrion was seemed nice, she wouldn't reveal any information to him and everything. He saw her potential for playing the game. So I thought it was cool that, um, that Tyrion is, is uh, glad that Sansa is starting to become empowered. John says she's starting to let on and Tyrion's like, good. <laughs> so I, that I wonder cool. if Tyrion has any idea of what happened to her with the Boltons. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, I know I that know. he's aware that she was married off to the Boltons, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, he probably doesn't know the, the details. The imagine. detail. Yeah. Uh, what a horrible thing, too. He's not going to be happy to hear about that, unfortunately. It's stark contrast between him and Ramsay, um, you know. <laughs> um, yeah. So... Um, it's, I'm look, really looking forward to, um, Tyrion and Sansa being united. That's going to be very interesting, but Tyrion goes on here and says, at some point, I want to hear how a Night's Watch recruit became King in the North. And John says, as long as you tell me how a Lannister became a hand to hand to Daenerys Targaryen. And I thought this was cool. Like they, they want to catch up and they're like looking forward to talking. But at this moment, as they're talking about catching up like this, we get a gorgeous drone shot and there's a drone flying near John and Tyrion sort of giving us, it's like, first of all, this is a perspective we normally don't get drone shots flying around like this, like around people while they're doing no, stuff. No, not at all. Right. I loved it. So this shot serves a twofold purpose. One, it's showing off the amazing, incredible, unreal bridge location where they're shooting. Cause this I think is it's just a monastery. Gorgeous. It is. Yes. Um, monast- yeah, Monastery of San Juan de Gusta Lugace, San Juan. And so, uh, so, <laughs> um, one to show off the amazing location where they're filming and two, the second purpose hinting that there are dragons flying around, showing us a shot swooping past John and Tyrion, foreshadowing the imminent swoop of the dragon flying through. Was that Drogon that flew over John? I don't know. I was going to ask you. You're the one that is good I at picking out the details. I had a hard time telling. I feel like it wasn't yeah. Drogon. Drogon's then I think dark, it was. right? I felt like it was yeah. pretty, I felt like it looked like kind of green. So maybe it was Viserion or Rhaegal. I, I think remember. it might have been Rhaegal. If it was Rhaegal, that means it makes sense. I mean, that's the one that we speculate John will be riding, right? So... So uh, Tyrion responds to John wanting to know how he became Danny's hand. And he says, well, it was a long and bloody tale. To be honest, I was drunk for most of it. (laughs) And that was pretty classic. So John reveals that his people think he's a fool for coming here. And Tyrion's like, "Uh, yeah, of course I do. If I was your hand, I would I would have told you, hell no, bro. Don't go down there. That's insane. And even Tyrion knows that as a general rule of thumb, like he says, Stark men don't fare well when they travel south. (laughs) No, they don't. Rob Stark most recently traveled south, died. Ned Stark traveled south, died. Before that. His grandfather and uncle. Yep. Rickard Stark and Brandon Stark, Ned's brother and father, rode south, met with Ares died and that's the, one of the interesting parts too about this is when Dan when John gets up there and is in the throne room with Danny at at Dragonstone here the first time uh it's the first time in like 20 years that a Stark has been in front of a Targaryen in the throne room I mean I know John's not a Stark but he's essentially a Stark at this point and at the last time it happened that Stark was strung up and roasted alive in his armor over a fire well, you know, while well, the other Stark strangled himself trying to Got save strangled. him. strangled. 
yeah, so God damn, this is just like crazy. A lot of history, a lot of um, things to be nervous about, <laughs> right? And so totally. uh, he's like, Stark men don't felt farewell when they travel south. And John says, true, but I'm not a Stark. And I thought this was another amazing moment. Everything is so well laid out here. One, true, I'm not, a, but I'm not a Stark. This reminded me. And then me, cue the dragon. Yeah. But one, this <laughs> reminded me of Danny and Missandei. With the when when Missandei says Valar Morghulis, and Danny's like, "Yes, all men must die, but we are not men, right?" And that was like kind of a cool moment between the two of them. And so John says basically the same thing here. He's like, "True, but I'm not a Stark." A cool parallel between John and Danny here. Lots of parallels between the two. And then, like you said, cue the dragon. Okay, so I just pulled up the video. It. I'm going to say it's Rhaegal. I mean, that would make sense. He looked pretty light to me. I thought it did not look like Drogon because he Drogon's gray, dark. Yeah. Um, which, which Rhaegal is supposed to be like goldish yellow, right? I'm pretty sure he was like the yellowy egg because she had the green egg, the yellow egg, and the black egg. According to GameOfThrones.Fandom.com, Rhaegal, quote, can be distinguished by his green and bronze colored scales and his yellow orange colored wings. So I'm going to go with Rhaegal. Okay. It looks like Rhaegal. Sounds good to me. I mean, that would be poetic considering Rhaegar was his father and I think are, it is. You know, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Viserion is dead. So people think he's going to ride Rhaegal and everything. So yeah, I mean, that would make sense. So right at this point, he says, I'm not a Stark. And that's when boom, like you said, cue the dragon. And we hear a roar screeching from overhead and D- John and Davos just hit the floor. <laughs> Like, uh, you know, you're a redneck if someone yells ho down and your girlfriend hits the floor, right? So <laughs> John and Davos both <laughs> dive to the ground here and uh, Jeff Foxworthy. And it's hilarious. The dragon flies by buzzing them like right over their heads. He buzzed the tower. Yeah, totally. <laughs> What's that from? Top Gun. Okay, okay, okay. It buzzes them. And uh, this is possibly another twofold purpose here like one him saying i'm not a stark and then being buzzed by dragons is no coincidence that's the writers telling us john is a targaryen right yeah but then also why is this dragon so attracted to john why is he riding flying down and buzzing john like this maybe he they senses can, it right john is a targaryen maybe they can smell him and smell his targaryen blood we apparently well, that's what Drogon does when he he smells John first and then allows him to touch him. Right. He comes kind of like running up on him when he finally lands. He runs up on John and then slows down and then smells his hand and then John touches him. Right. And there's a moment in the books where this guy, Brown Ben Plum, who claims to have a drop of dragon blood from his heritage from like hundreds of years ago or whatever. And uh, he claims that that's why the dragons like him, too. So. Interestingly, uh, there could be a clue that he's a Targ by having the the dragons be attracted to him and one, flying and buzzing him here. And then two, um, being so friendly with him, allowing him to touch Drogon and whatnot uh, in the future scene that we'll get to soon, like next episode or something. Yeah, there's there's definitely something there. Right. So uh, so John and Davos dive to the ground and on the bridge and the dragon swoops by Rhaegal, we'll say. And uh, Davos looks back up and Missandei is still standing. She's smirking. <laughs> yeah. Everyone's still standing. Yeah, great smirk. Beautiful look on her face. And her, her, her expression is priceless. She's saying it's like it says so many things. It's like, yeah, bitch, we got power. And then at the same time, she's like, no, 
nope, I'm not threatened by them. And the, <laughs> like, this is just normal business for me. Um, I don't know. I just thought it was really cool. Like sometimes a look can say a thousand words and Miss Sande's look here is priceless for sure. I'd say you get used to them, but you never really do. Yeah, Tyrion. Gotta love Tyrion. And John is just mesmerized. He gets back up and is just watching as this dragon soars off and around the, off into the distance and banks around Dragonstone. And John is just gazing in awe at it as it flies off. And I'm like, wow, this is just such a huge moment. John's first time seeing a dragon, you know, like <laughs> it was a big deal when Tyrion saw a dragon. Now John is seeing a dragon up close. It's just like, wow, this is so nuts. And um, it's crazy. So Tyrion says, come, their mother is waiting for you. And I was like, oh shit. Cause that's crazy. Like the music is ominous. And I thought it was interesting Obviously, she's known as the mother of dragons, but seeing the dragons and then saying their mother is waiting for you, that means like it's implying that obviously the mother tends to be more powerful than the children. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So it's saying like the big boss is waiting for you about Danny. But then also it just it struck me as being very interesting how although Danny has no biological children herself, She's constantly referred to as a mother, whether it's being the mother of dragons or the mother of the people, Misa. Misa. Yeah, it's just really interesting to me that potentially the most motherly figure in the entire story doesn't have any true children of her own. And uh, it's like ironic and um, like poetic. It's kind of poetic. Yeah, 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 exactly. So at this point, we get a gorgeous overhead shot looking directly downwards at the bridge that they're standing on. And you can see both sides of it. And this place where th- that they filmed um, is just incredible. It's this tidal land bridge connecting this jutting island to the mainland. And the tide is out for this shot. And you can see the jagged surface of the, uh, of the stone where the water would be normally at a high tide. Oh, wow. I didn't know that. Yeah. It just looks like just like the rest of the island. Like you'd imagine like this crazy jagged stone and stuff. And it's just a beautiful location. Really, really cool. Well, I'll post some videos about the location on our Facebook page so we can all take a closer look at it. I want my new job to be a um, like location scout locator. Yes. (laughs) Yeah, that'd be so cool. It'd be really cool, especially for Game of Thrones. Just go to extravagant locations and like find the coolest places you possibly yeah, can. Yeah, th- I want to work on the biggest budget TV show of all times and go scout locations for it. Totally. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, that that wraps up my number five, and then my number four is the same as your number four, right? Going in or going into your number three, going into um, the throne room, right? You want to talk about that for a little bit? Yeah. First, though, we do get Malisandra and Varys up on the cliff. Sure, yeah, we can mention that. So we get the shot, that shot of, you know, seeing the bridge from above is Malisandra's viewpoint. Yep. And then we see out in the background, we see Malisandra and Varys approaches. Yeah. And Varys was like, I wonder why you weren't there to meet our guests. Yeah, something ain't right. <laughs> yeah, you asked us to summon the king in the north and you don't want to see him. Like, there's something very fishy about that. She goes, I've done my part. I've brought ice and fire together. Wow. I was like, oh, my God. Huge part indeed, right? Damn. Yeah, you know, but Varys is kind of calling her out on it. He goes, yeah, but you spoke really highly of him and you didn't really want to go say hi to him. Like, it, you don't seem like a bashful person to me. Right. Like what the hell's going on here? 
my time whispering in the ears of kings has come to an end. And Varys is like, oh, I doubt that that shit. Uh, This is interesting. He's like, give us common folk one taste of power. We're like the lion who tasted man. Nothing is ever so sweet again. And I was thinking, ooh, man, Sir Patrick definitely took note of that. It's ominous. Is he referring to himself here or just commoners in general? Is he secretly power hungry personally? He's talking Perhaps. about commoners being power hungry, right? So, I mean, we we do see him in earlier seasons kind of go at it with a little finger in front of the throne room. Yeah, I remember they're talking about what each other wants. And Littlefinger implies that he wants the throne, but he asks Varys what he wants. And what is does Varys look over at the throne as well? I yes, can't remember. He oh, does. He, just silently, without saying anything, he looks at the throne. So it may be hinting that Varys has an endgame plan for himself to take the throne. Perhaps. I mean, maybe if something goes terribly wrong with Danny, he has a backup. Or, I mean, like, you know, maybe he'll... Or she's a, a stepping stone yeah, to his power. He could be yep. using her and ha- have some plan to try to take out the dragons or something. I don't know. Collateral don't damage. Know. Yeah, it's but it's interesting. Yeah, so, uh, so she admits it that... Um, she did not part on good terms with the king of the north or her, her or his advisor. And I'm like, wow, she's actually being honest about that. That's pretty interesting, right? And he even asks her and she admits it. He, she goes, I made some terrible mistakes and terrible. I would I would be a really big distraction if I stayed. Yep. So <clears throat> and so she says she's going to go to Volantis. Yeah. Um Varys is like, yeah, it's probably good. If you don't mind my saying, I Think you sh- I don't think you should even come back here. Uh, I'm not sure you'd be safe. Kind of a threat. And I'm thinking to myself, Varys, you should know better than to speak to red priestesses like this by now. After Kinvara and what she said to you? Come on, dude. Show a little bit of caution around these freaks, right? <laughs> I will return, dear spider, one last time. My lady. I have to die in this strange country just like you. I was like, oh my God. And he looks freaked out yet again. These red priests and priestesses, they seem to know entirely too much about his, about his birth, his rebirth, you could say when his kid was castrated and about his death, apparently too. They know entirely too much. Isn't there some theories out there that he could possibly be an offshoot of a Targaryen? There is. Um, People speculate that he may be a black fire and that he may keep his head bald to disguise Hide his that. hair color the way that Egg did, does in the Duncan Egg novellas, yeah, it is yeah. a theory. And in the uh, in the in the books as well, there's a there's a lot more to it that makes it quite quite a viable theory, actually. So, yeah, interesting. Okay, yeah, very interesting. So yeah, he's terrified. I don't know much about this. that, but I, I knew that there was a theory out there. Yeah, yeah, very interesting. Very interesting. I don't want to spoil too much of it in, in here, though. Sure. Um, I don't really know anything about it, so yeah, it's, I can't. It's, I'm looking forward to hearing your reaction. <laughs> so, uh, again, Varys is stunned silent by a red priestess. And uh, he's like, what the fuck? Like, why? Why? And I'm wondering, why do they know so much about Varys? He must be important, too. Like you said, maybe he could be an offshoot of Targaryens. or That's where that comment kind of, or that thought kind of came from right. is... Maybe they know that he has a major role to play in this as well. Right. Like his parts, his genitals were used in blood magic with some crazy sorcerer. Why were they valuable enough to use in blood magic? Does he have royal blood that would be valuable for blood magic? Is it the sacrifice of innocence and youth that gives like the blood magic, even if it's not royal blood? Like, I don't know. 
yeah, does he have King's blood? I, yeah, I don't know, man. So ominous red woman music is playing. And Varys is like, what the fucking fuck? He's like, I hate those red priestesses. <laughs> right. And she just walks away and leaves him alone. And he just looks super nervous. <laughs> yeah, I would be nervous. Fuck yeah. Crazy ass red priest. Priestess. Telling me I'm going to die in this country. Yeah. Like, what do you know about my death, ho? Can you please just, like, give me the full story? Yeah, it's fucked. Yeah, so they're always just tormenting him, him and he should know better than to prod at them. <laughs> Hopefully he learned. So, um, on to the throne room next, right? Mm, yeah. So epic. Beautiful shots of the throne Little room. dollop of Daisy on that throne. Yes. <laughs> And oh man, last I was like I was saying last time a, tar, a Stark stood in front of a Targaryen monarch, he was cooked alive in his armor. And uh, John walks into the throne room and walks up, and Missandei starts announcing Daenerys with her titles, 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 titles. Fill in the damn titles. And Missandei seems a little bit more authoritative with her pronouncements than usual. She, it's like she's putting on a bit of a show for the king in the north, you know? I have to agree. Right? She's like, really, like, like The breaker of it. chains. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, damn. But before we get to all that, John walks in and we get a shot. Still, like, the camera is standing still. And it, John and Davos both walk up and approach the camera. Their gaze is fixed into the um, past the camera as they walk, as they approach. And John, it looks like he's already in love. Like he sees Daenerys sitting up there. He almost like stops walking. Yeah. His jaw is slightly dropped. His eyes are wide and he's just like, Oh my God. (laughs) It's like, it's like that moment when Phoebe Cates steps out of the pool and fast times at Ridgemont high. (laughs) And everyone is just like, their jaws just drop, you know? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So that's John in this scene. He's already fallen for Danny, just looking at her. Missande goes through all the titles. And uh, like you said, she she puts on a show and she's like really authoritative with all the pronouncements. And Davos looks dumbfounded by just this whole spectacle of the all these titles and the extravagance of the announcements and everything. And it he I realize he's completely unprepared for this. He wasn't expecting this breathtaking introduction and he's equally like amazed and dumbfounded and just like caught off guard and john turns to him <laughs> like you gonna announce me and he's like oh this is this is john snow <laughs> and it's like doesn't even know what to say because he's he doesn't have like a he's response king in the north. <laughs> yeah he doesn't have like titles like this prepared to respond this is john snow and so he, his eyes dart back and forth really quickly and he's like he's the king in the north he's king in the north and Tyrion smirks to himself. And I thought this was funny, Tyrion's reaction here. Um, I think that Tyrion appreciates the stark nature of Jon's introduction, you could say. It's very true to Stark character. No pomp, not a show, just plain, yeah. simple, and true. Um, I mean, 
Although his his titles could be so epic. Think about it. Like I, I saw this picture the other day. The undead. <laughs> yeah, this picture that I, I don't know the who created it, but it's like it shows him and it's Aegon of the House Targaryen, the seventh of his name, the resurrected, the king of the Andals, the Roiner and the first men, protector of the realm, lord of the seven kingdoms, the white wolf, the king in the north, the prince that was promised, the 998th lord commander of the Night's Watch, the lord of Winterfell and warden of the north, the beater of the Bolton bastard, <laughs> the friend of the free folk, the knower of nothing, the bastard king. You know, like oh my god, had some epic titles himself as well. Um, I added bastard king there, and but <laughs> yeah, like he could have, he could, you know, it, they're the same. They both each have, have these amazing accomplishments, and they both could have big lists like this. Just it's not in the stark way to to pronounce yourself like this, right? So they weren't prepared for this, and it's just hilarious to see the contrast between the Targaryen style and the Stark style. I find it interesting that Danny, as a character, would want all those titles, right? being as down to earth as she is. Yeah. And her actions are always towards the good of the people and taking care of the people. And she's not very presumptuous as far as like feeling like she's deserving because she's queen or that she's made herself this in this role. So I always found it kind of interesting that her character would want these titles, titles, titles to just get bigger and bigger as she, as she grows. Maybe it's, um, Maybe she recognizes value in um, projecting authority or like a visage of authority. You know what I mean? Probably. Maybe since she started with so little power, she found it valuable to to fake it till you make it type thing, like make herself seem big and strong and like um, intimidation. Right. And right. To 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 forge that path for herself until she becomes as strong as she makes herself out to be, at least to make herself out to be that strong. You know what I mean? I don't know. I'm just speculating. Make it till you make it. Yeah. So, uh, so Danny's, she, she's very nice. She, she's very diplomatic. She thanks them for traveling so far, but she refers to them as my Lords and does not address John as a King. Right. And so John responds diplomatically back. The winds were kind you grace. But Davos steps up and he, he, he's from Flea Bottom. So it's not like customary for someone like from his original stature from where he was born to be speaking to a queen like this. Right. So he apologizes for his accent and for what he's about to say, basically. But he's like, John is the king in the north. You know, he's not a lord, your, your grace. He's a grace, your grace. Right. Um, and Danny doesn't seem to know who he is. Right. So she's like, uh, forgive me. And Tyrion steps in and introduces him, basically explains who he is, right? This is Sir Davos Seaworth. What a great character and uh, a great parallel to, to, to John for Tyrion to Danny. They're like, you know, hands. They're perfectly paralleled. It's great. Very much so. So Danny is, she apologizes for having never received a formal education, but as far as she knows it, Torrin Stark was the last king in the north. And this is kind of like a sort of like a mini nod to something that she does semi-frequently in the books, which is like, she's like, I'm only just a young girl and don't know much about the ways of war, but I'm going to drop some intense knowledge on you. <laughs> so that's like what she says here. She's like, you know, I'm sorry. I'm just, a, you know, I don't, I don't have a formal education. And, but <laughs> the last king in the north is Torrin Stark. 
And he swore fealty to House Targaryen in perpetuity in exchange for the lives of his men and the Northmen. No, but she says, did you... He bent the knee to Aegon Targaryen. Right, yeah. And that's Jon's name. (laughs) And I thought that was so great. Like, she's trying to, like, put him in his place. Like, your ancestor bent the knee to my ancestor. I'm the last Targaryen, Jon Snow. He's Your like, but ancestor I'm bet the knee to Aegon Targaryen. It's like, dude, <laughs> you're talking to Aegon Targaryen now. That's hilarious. Yeah, yeah, that's amazing. So good. I love that. I loved it. Yeah. So she's like, yeah, he, he knelt to Aegon and exchanged his, his vows of fealty and perpetuity for his life and the lives of his Northmen. And Davos is like, I wasn't there, my grace. Um, and and Danny's like, right, but... She's like, of course not, but but an oath is an oath and perpetuity. What does that mean, Tyrion? And Tyrion's like, forever. forever Always and forever. <laughs> yeah. So she's like, forever. So I assume, my lord, you're here to bend a knee. And John's nope. like, I am not. And I'm like, damn, it's so ballsy, dude. So you're here to break faith with House Targaryen? And nope. John starts getting a little, little uh, testy here, you know. <sighs> break faith, he laughs. Your father burned my grandfather alive. He burned my uncle alive. He would have burned the seven kingdoms. And I'm like, damn, he doesn't even know how right he really is because he doesn't know about the wildfire plot. That's something only Jamie and Tyrion and a few select people know. Well, because he literally just had the same conversation with the Northmen last episode. Right. Like, this is so dangerous. Like, Yeah. And I also liked, I liked how he also didn't fold. He stood up for himself and for his rights and his people as king. So uh, this is when a big moment for for Danny as she steps up and really impresses John and I think surprises him here as she sort of sides with him. And she says, my father was an evil man. And I thought this was very big of Danny to, to say as well. And she apologizes on behalf of House Targaryen and asks forgiveness for the crimes that Aegon com- or Ares committed against the House Stark. She says the crimes. She recognizes that burning Rickard and and killing Brandon and everything was a crime, a criminal action. Wrong. So I think this is a huge moment, and it sort of takes John off guard. So that's pretty intense. Um, so I thought that John was kind of surprised to hear her feeling sympathy for his family and everything like that. And um, she goes on to. She she asks for forgiveness for the crimes he committed and then asks John not to judge her, a daughter, by the sins of her father. Which he echoed with Ned Umber and Alice Carstar. Exactly. Saying like, we should not judge these children by the sins of their fathers. Right, right. Just last, like a week or two ago, right? Last episode. <laughs> Damn, yeah. So super. Or two episodes ago. Yeah, you're right. Two episodes ago. Yeah, so, so really good um, parallel there as this is the same sentiment that he expressed. So how can you argue against that? Right. But I thought, I thought this was also telling about her attitude towards Starks and how it has changed. I think I remember her referring to Ned in, in a derogatory manner um, in earlier seasons, calling him Robert's dog or something like that. Oh, really? I don't remember that. Yeah. For being Robert's hand and being involved with the spying operations and assassination attempts and stuff like that. She didn't know that Ned had um, gone against Robert about in regards to that. Wow. I totally didn't even catch that. Yeah. Because I remember we sort of came to the revelation when we were reviewing um, the first season that Ned didn't wasn't happy with um, with Robert 
hunting down Daenerys because Daenerys would be his sister-in-law, right? So he had like a family obligation to keep her safe and he just couldn't go along with <laughs> with um, Robert's operation, basically. So it shows that Danny has learned a lot since her since that time and she realizes that her father was bad and she's like almost can't hold it against the Starks for rebelling against him because she acknowledges even here that Ares was evil, right? Like that's yeah. no small statement saying that her father was a ev- an evil man. I think that she said that too um, when she was with Yara and Tyrion. She said, all of our fathers were evil men. <laughs> they yeah, left the they world wanted- worse than they than when they arrived. We're not going to do that. We're going to leave it a better place. Um, so kind of cool. So she brings up how for centuries, houses Targaryen and Stark were allies, strong allies, and that those were also the best centuries the kingdoms have ever known. And I don't know if that's necessarily true. I mean, most of it was peace and peace and prosperity, like she's saying, but there were also like wars between the, the dragon lords and everything like that. And I mean, I don't, I, I'm not, I, I can't say how peaceful the seven kingdoms were when they were seven kingdoms before they were united. They could have been constantly warring with each other. And her statement here may be totally accurate that more peace was over the seven kingdoms than, you know, had been prior to that before they were connected and united. So she says, um, for, and for those, and for those centuries, there was a Targaryen sitting on the iron throne and a Stark serving as warden of the North. And she says, I am the last Targaryen, Jon Snow. And I'm like, nope. Nope. (laughs) And interestingly, also following her logic here, talking about pledges and lines of succession, how she's the last Targaryen and the rightful heir. If she's true to her inclination to follow, to make decisions based on these type of things. Lineage. Yeah, then then she she says, honor your pledge, honor the pledge your ancestor made to mine. If she's all about these pledges and stuff, bend, bend the knee, you know, then she would have to acknowledge John as being the rightful heir if she finds out the truth about John. I would. If she believes it to be true. Yeah, that's true. She may not believe it. Right. Yeah, she could be like, this is just fucking bullshit. Bran's making this shit up. But Bran, then again, would it be like, when you were 13, you, like, <laughs> something <laughs> happened to your pet <laughs> dragonfly. You know what I mean? And Danny would be like, oh my God, he knows everything. It's true. John really is my my nephew. My, is that it? Nephew? Yeah, nephew. Yes. Yes. So um, he is her nephew. She's like, honor the pledge, bend the knee, and I'll name you Warden of the North. Together we can save this galaxy (laughs) from those who would destroy it. And I thought that it was interesting. Um, It reminded me how Jamie won over Randall Tarley with the promises of making him Warden of the West or Warden of, was it Warden of the West? Yeah. Yeah. So that was interesting. And I was, I'm hoping that even though John um, declines her for now, that that last sentence that Danny says will be actually be remain true together. We will save this country from those who destroy it. Hopefully that happens, you know? So this is where John flips it on her. He's like, you're right. You're not guilty of your father's crime and I'm not beholden to my ancestors vows. And I'm like, damn, best turnaround possible. And Danny 
must recognize the wisdom in this as it mirrors her own plea perfectly. Don't judge me for my father. And he's like, well, don't judge me and my actions based on my ancestors and their vows, you know? Snap. Yeah, they can't, you know, make promises for future generations. That's So I'm like, damn, uh, game of words, like you like to say, is going hard in this bitch right now. And they're like going back and forth. <laughs> and Danny's smile slowly fades she's like, well, why the hell are you here then if you're not going to bend the knee? And she's starting to get agitated too. And John's like, at this point, he's like, because I need your help and you need mine. And this is when it like starts to get serious. And she's like, did you see the dragons flying over your overhead when you got here? All the Dothraki who have sworn to kill for me. <laughs> John's like, they're hard to miss. Yeah, this is why I need your help. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. <laughs> and she's like, but still, you think I need your help? And he's like, Davos steps up here. Davos Davos is awesome, man. You know, he's like, no, we know you don't need our help for King's Landing. You got dragons. You could storm the city tomorrow and it would fall. Fuck. It's going like, to fall in a day. Yeah. It's like, we almost took it. We didn't even have dragons. Goddamn. And Tyrion's like. Almost. Yeah. Tyrion equally as awesome as Davos. And uh, I love just the way that they sort of mirror each other and parallel each other uh, in their roles to the opposite royalty, opposite monarchs and everything. Um, So he's, he can see John is pretty smart here. He can tell that, that the only reason that, that the reason why Danny hasn't attacked King's Landing already is because she doesn't want to kill thousands of people. And um, at the, at the very least, this means that she's better than Cersei, which is hilarious. You're you're slightly better. Yeah, slightly for better. For now. <laughs> and uh da- Danny's like, what the fuck? She's like, still, I don't that doesn't explain why I need your help. And uh John is just he's so terrible at getting his point across here. He's like, right now, you and I and everyone else, we're basically children screaming that the rules aren't fair. And Danny's like, You told me you liked this man, Tyrion. <laughs> In the time since he's met me, he's refused to call me queen. He's refused to bow. And now he's calling me a child. And I'm laughing my ass off. And Tyrion's like, I believe he's calling us all children, your grace. A figure of speech. (laughs) A metaphor. (laughs) And Jon's like, everyone will die before winter is over if we don't defeat the enemy in the north. And I'm like, God damn it, Jon. Like, what the fuck does that even mean? Like you're bringing this up with no explanation or no disclaimer, like not the best way to describe the situation here. Sort of the same thing when he was describing the way Mance Raider died. He's just like, I killed him. You know, It's like, no, you need context. You need- and I think it's just his descriptions in general. Cause like when Sam asks him about, about like what it's sex. like being with a woman, he's just not very like expressive with words. Right. Right. So luckily he's got Davos because Danny's like as far as I can see you're the enemy in the north and uh this is when John goes over the deep end too <laughs> like he's like I'm not your enemy and he pauses to brace himself to build his confidence for the big reveal and he's like the dead are the enemy <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like what and everybody's the like dead. yeah everybody pauses and yeah like Danny's just like what and looks over at Tyrion is like this another figure of speech <laughs> yeah and John is just like, the army of the dead is on the march. And I'm like, oh, my God, dude, like you need to explain like like all of a sudden the army of the dead, like you need to have some type of lead into this. you know. <laughs> and Tyrion's like the army of the dead. 
And I like. I love John here. Yeah. What did, what did he say? What did, what did you like? He goes, you don't know me well, my lord, but do you think I'm a liar or a madman? And Tyrion's like, no, I don't think you're either of those things. And it's like, right. it's showing Danny that your hand trusts me. He brought me here. I'm here because of Tyrion, because we know each other. Right, because and we're real. It's like, do you think I'm fucking joking about this shit? Like, why? We just had that conversation walking up the, the long pas- passageway that my, the entire North thinks I'm crazy for being here. Right. This is why I'm here. This, this is, is why, why I'm I here. came. And this is this moment where it gets serious. He, like he's like he said, you like he's like, you think I'm joking around? He's like, the army of the dead is real. The White Walkers are real. The Night King is real. I've seen them. And if, if they get past the wall and we're squabbling amongst ourselves and he, he moves forward in an effort to like get more face to face with Danny, I think to, so that she can see that he means what he says and like see the truth on his face. And the second he starts walking the Dothraki like step and he's forward. Like, okay, 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 yeah, and okay. he pauses and uh, is so intense as everything's paused for a moment. And then the camera goes, zooms in close on Danny and she starts talking about how, how she, she was born here, but doesn't remember it. And she stands up. And I think that when John moved forward, Danny recognized it, recognized that John wanted to get closer and she's decided to allow it. But by taking control of the proximity herself, as she now starts to approach him and I'm like, damn, it's epic. Again, with like kind of the intimidation factor. Yeah. And showing that she's no, like, she's not like scared to approach him you know what i mean quite frankly i mean i love that throne the, at dragonstone she looks very small on it <laughs> that's hilarious like a doll if you said I, the doll of daisy yeah i immediately i immediately noticed that like as watching it the first time i was like wow she looks like really tiny right there and that's not that's her character she didn't she's look so that huge. way in marine to me right, about, right, in the right. pyramid yeah she's just sitting on a little bench right she doesn't look that way to me when she sits on Drogon, but she's like just sitting there and there's something like she reminds me of like a child. Right, right. Like she's very still. She's not moving. There's this giant. It's very cold in there. It's very dark. Giant expanse of a room and nobody's around her. She's just right yeah, by herself. A just little like dollop this little of dollop. Daisy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, totally. Um, so I think this is her moment like. She does when she gets up off the throne and gets into proximity with John. I think he feels that. I think that's partially why. I mean, I'm totally 100% in agreement with you that when he sees her for the first time, he's taken aback because he's attracted to her. So beautiful. But I also think she's just like this little woman sitting up there. Yeah, he's not necessarily intimidated by her or anything like that. Yeah, she's the mother of dragons. Like, there's dragons, like, flying overhead. Yeah, he's scared of dragons, for sure. (laughs) And it's like, then you just see Danny sitting there, and it's kind of like, I don't want to say lackluster, because she isn't lackluster, but it was kind of like This uh, is the mother of dragons, this tiny little little girl basically <laughs> this little yeah little there was person. kind of like a deflation there and then like all of her titles and i think john kind of dismisses them a little bit because of that and then when he i'll let you talk about this but when she gets up close to him he feels her power mm. 
he feels her strength and that all washes away. I didn't feel like he was, he felt lackluster about her at all. I felt like he was like, no, as an audience for me, like as a viewer, it was kind of like a lackluster. Like she looks really like kind of small there. Like I wanted her to look super powerful and strong and she didn't for me. I didn't perceive that John didn't, didn't necessarily think she was like super powerful or anything like off the bat. Um, but I can see why you could you could imagine that for sure, or uh, interpret that that way. Um, but yeah, her Danny's monologue here is amazing as she approaches oh, John. She's talking about fleeing from Robert's assassins, and she brings up Ned, and she asks, "Robert was your dad's best friend, right? I wonder if your father knew his best friend sent assassins to murder a baby girl in her crib." Yep, and he tried to stop him. Right, but not only about well, that's that's when she was an adult. But he's she's asking about when she was a baby girl in her crib and and we don't know about it then. But we do know that Robert was attacking, like trying to kill all the Targaryens. And we know that Ned knew that and hid John because of it. I would bet that after the Tower of Joy and realizing that he's that the Targaryens are Ned's family, that Robert's insistence on hunting down and killing the Targaryens is a major reason why Ned did not remain in King's Landing with Robert to help him rule. Um, and was very reluctant to take the hand of the king position in in the first place. Right. Yeah. He he seems to have distanced himself from Robert after this in order to protect John. And so I just thought it was interesting because she's asking, "You think Rob? You think Ned knew his best friend sent assassins to murder a baby in her crib?" And not only do I think that Ned knew that Robert was trying to kill the Targaryens, but I think that he she would kind of be just amazed at knowing how much he sacrificed to prevent Robert from being able to kill the remaining Targaryens, um, including John, who's standing right in front of her. Yep. So that was pretty interesting. She says, not that it matters now, of course, kind of like the Hound and kind of like Cersei talking about how it doesn't matter these things that have happened in the past. But um, she she's talking about how she's spent her life everywhere in foreign lands and all these people have tried to kill her. So many people, she can't even remember all of them and how all these horrible things have happened to her, how she's been sold and chained and defiled and raped and betrayed and exiled. She's like, you know what kept me standing, what kept me strong through all those years? Faith. Yes. Not Mm. faith in gods, not faith in myths or legends, faith in myself in Daenerys Targaryen. And she pauses and the camera cuts to John and She's like pretty close to him at this point. And John is fucking mesmerized by her. He's just like completely Who mesmerized. Who is this person? Yeah, like just blown away. And she's, she continues, the world hadn't seen a dragon in centuries until my children were born. She calls them her children. And uh, she like breastfeeds them in the books. Like, you know, it's serious. It's more. Oh, really? Yeah, like it's more more of a mother daughter mother children relationship in the books because she just lost her her child you know so she had like her breasts were full and everything so like my children were born and like the camera cuts to the side and there's this amazing shot of her walking towards him and just the, the gap closing between them and the symbolism of the moment of as ice and fire come together and it's just like such a great shot love it it's so beautiful and she says the Dothraki hadn't crossed the sea, any sea. They did it for me, you know, and she's just so fucking gangster. And she walks right up to his face and, and stops in front of him, basically, like right up close to him. And I'm like, oh, man, like she's talking about all these things that had never happened until she did them. 
And she's like, I was born to rule the seven kingdoms and I will. And John here is another beautiful response. Like he's not necessarily great at expressing the things that he needs to sometimes, but then the other, other moments he says like the most poignant, beautiful lines <laughs> like this, you'll be ruling over a graveyard if we don't defeat the night King. And I'm like, damn. And I loved that because she, I think it was last episode that she says, I don't want to be queen of the ashes. Yes. This str- very strongly parallels what Tyrion had said to her. You don't want to be queen of the ashes. She also does not want to be queen of the graveyard. And she's like, she's, she like, like recoils almost at that, like in, in realization of the truth of that statement. And at this moment, at this point, the room has become a chessboard, the floor here of the throne room. Tyrion steps up. (laughs) It's like a pawn moving forward, you know, like, or like a a knight moving forward or bishop or something. And uh, he starts to speak. The war against my sister has already begun. You can't expect us to halt hostilities and join you in fighting in, whatever you saw beyond the wall. And uh, he has a good point. Like without any proof, John can't expect them to stop what they're doing already and go North on the whim of like, you know, on, on the promise of some guy who none of them know basically. So uh, then in response, John's Bishop moves forward. (laughs) Davos steps (laughs) up and uh, you don't believe him. I understand that. Sounds like nonsense. (laughs) And it it does sound like nonsense. And John at that moment looks up at Danny and they both make eye contact in an intense moment. And this is Davos's moment. Davos had been taken off guard and he was unprepared for the for the titles fiasco that happened a little while ago where he, he sort of embarrassed John with his response. But now is his time for him to do what he does best to rep justice and to articulate the nuances of the epic nature of this scenario and to speak reason and proclaim truth and to sort of negotiate as a third party to help these these monarchs see eye to eye here and move forward with what they need to do. And as Danny had spoken so eloquently on behalf of herself and the things she's accomplished, Davos begins to speak on behalf of Jon Snow and finally steps up into the role that he needs to be doing for Jon. He's like, if destiny has brought Daenerys Targaryen Targaryen back to our shores, destiny has also made Jon Snow the king in the north. He's like, yeah, you were the first to bring the Dothraki to Westeros. That's amazing. But Jon was the first to make allies with the Wildling and the Northmen to influence the Northmen to accept the Wildlings as people and let them through the wall and integrate into the Northern community. And not kill them. Right. That's huge. It's like unheard of. Just like never happened. Yeah. The Dothraki have never crossed the sea. The Wildlings have never crossed the wall, you know. And come in like as a as a people and and integrated into Westerosi society. So these are two unprecedented things happening. And he goes on. John was named Lord Commander of the Night's Watch as a recruit, basically, as someone who just joined after stepping through the ranks and proving himself so rapidly that he won the loyalty of these men. He was named King in the North, not because of his birthright. And it cuts to Jon Snow at this moment. And he's He's looking down at the floor with the, with his eyes almost closed in that way that he sort of looks when he hears people talking about him and and he starts to think about his destiny and his obligation and what he has to do, even though he doesn't want to, as we learn later. He's, he doesn't enjoy what he's good at, as you know, as as he says, 
he gets this look like, oh, like where he's, you know, realizing the gravity on him and he can feel the weight of it all. And Davos continues. It feels very heavy. Yeah, you can see the weight on him. And Davos is like, he has no birthright. He's a damn bastard. <laughs> all those hard sons of bitches in the North chose him as their leader because they believe in him. And Danny glances over at John at this moment and starts to realize who John is. Cause she didn't have any fucking idea who, who he was before Davos started talking to these, like telling these intense truths about John as well. Yeah. She has no idea what's been going on in the North. Right. I mean, she literally just got there like a day ago. Right. And she's realizing, realizing now that John is also like a figure of great import, like in the way that she is doing these unprecedented things. There's a lot of similarities. Right. And, and it's even <laughs> like, is he, we even find out that some John may have done something supernatural like she has. The, the miracles that she's accomplished, something happened with John, as we learn here. As Davos continues, all those things you don't believe in, the grumps and the snark, grumpkins and the snarks and the white walkers and the whites, he's faced them. He's fought those things for the good of his people. He risked his life for the people of the North and for the people of the Night's Watch and for the wildlings. He took a knife in his heart for his people. He gave his own. I love that Danny like looks over at Tyrion like, what? Did you catch that? <laughs> yeah. And John turns to Davos like, I don't know. It's if like, this dude, is... no, 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 no. Yeah. And Davos stops. He gave his own and cuts himself short. And it's like Danny and Tyrion are too shocked to even say anything or even ask what the fuck as like, what are you talking about? This moment is like incredible. Davos was just on fire. And, well, and uh, I also think because John, I don't, I'm not sure that John really knows a lot about like Danny's like walking out of like fiery and, buildings and pyres and stuff. Yeah. I mean, I mean, the dragons I, are magic and they hatched from stone. So we know that he knows that, that Danny has some, and it's in her title that she's the unburnt, but true, I mean, true. Their, what does that their mean? words does are know? fire and blood. So, I mean, the unburnt like could just be like kind of metaphor. Right. Yeah. He speaking. doesn't know necessarily the story to all these titles. He's just hearing exactly. the proclamations of the results. I think maybe if he knew, that she had like walked out of a fire twice. Yeah. Maybe he would have like allowed Davos to continue. Mm, maybe. Because it's both magical, although it puts them on par. Although it's Jon Snow and he's kind of like close to the chest. True. <laughs> the chest where he got stabbed. Ha <laughs> <laughs> ha. Good one. <laughs> so so Davos re, re like changes tactics or changes courses with his dialogue, his monologue here and says, if we, if we don't put aside our enmities and band together, we will die. And then it doesn't matter whose skeleton sits on the iron throne. And oh my God, dude, that line was so epic. It doesn't matter whose skeleton sits on the throne. And Tyrion's like, well, if it doesn't matter, you might as well kneel. <laughs> it takes no time to bend the knee. Hilarious. Yeah, John starts getting like aggravated at this point. Tyrion's like, swear your allegiance, help her defeat my sister, and together our armies will protect the North. And John's like, there's no time for that. No time for any of this. While we stand here debating, and that's when Tyrion interjects, it takes no time to bend the knee. Pledge your sword to her to her cause. And John's like this. Now he like kind of goes off. He's he's getting pissed. And he's like, why would I do that? Like, I don't mean any offense, but I don't know who the hell you are. As far as I can tell, your only claim rests entirely on your father's name. And, and my dad fought to overthrow your dad. 
And uh, as interestingly, as interesting as that is, because John's father is not really Ned, <laughs> you know. So you'd you'd think, well, maybe his father didn't actually fight to overthrow the Mad King. But oh yeah, <laughs> but Rhaegar Targaryen. Technically, this still this statement is still true. Rhaegar Targaryen was fighting to overthrow the Mad King at the infamous tourney at Harrenhal, where Rhaegar gave the 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 crown of love and beauty to. Lyanna Stark over like passing over Ilari, Elia Martell. Well, I can't talk. <laughs> he had called to get together the Lords at this, to meet at this, um, at this tourney and meet in secret to plot their overthrow of Ares to overthrow the mad King. So technically this statement is still true <laughs> that even though John's father is actually Danny's brother, he still fought to overthrow the mad King. That's crazy. That's awesome. So a little funny there, kind of like that. So he's like, he's like, the lords of the north place their trust in me to lead them, and I will continue to do so as well as I can. And it's true. I mean, it's not up to him. He's he's serving the people who have nominated him to do their bidding, essentially. And Danny's diplomatic about this too. She's like, that's fair. But she also points out that from her perspective, she's the rightful queen of the seven kingdoms. Um. Although that's not technically true, given John's true identity, right? Exactly. So she's not technically the right king. It's John. And she says, by declaring yourself king in the north, northernmost kingdom, you are in open rebellion. And that's when Varys, he starts off running and then slowly, like... I think he's been running the whole time. Yeah, and then right, right <laughs> as he turns the corner, he starts to walk. So he doesn't yeah, look yeah, like yeah. he's been running. Yeah, it's it's hilarious. <laughs> So he he gets there and walks in so it doesn't look like there's an emergency basically and walks up to Danny and says your grace please dismiss your guests i have grave news and Danny Oh is that what he says? Yeah the subtitles actually came up on HBO Go showing exactly what he says. So Danny says um she basically apologizes and um asks them to forgive her manners but she needs to take care of some business basically. And she says, well, you must be tired. We'll have baths drawn and supper sent to your rooms. And John asks the poignant question of the moment, right? Am I your prisoner? Not yet. Not yet. Ominous. And um, I love this whole introduction scene between the two of them. They both learn so many valuable things about each other. They both have a lot to think about. They're both impressed by certain aspects of each other and certain accomplishments that each other have um, have done. They have so many things in common. They both have earned the respect of their people through strife and through fighting and through doing what what they believe to be right, even though other people disagreed for refusing to go along with the norm and for taking huge swathes of people, whether it was people that were enslaved in, in Essos or people who were trapped north of the north of the wall and in imminent danger and being responsible, being a savior for large groups of people, people freeing them from bondage or freeing them from being trapped north of the wall. They have all of these similar storylines and so many similar characteristics and so many similar accomplishments and they're both just honorable and respected people, both Targaryens, coincidentally. Um, it's just and complete opposite, like of the way they were brought up, like between being like up in the cold north and out kind of like in the deserty, like southern, right. sunny, fiery regions. Right. One of- ice, one fire, one white hair, one black hair, <laughs> yin and yang. It's almost like almost yeah, a- I was just gonna say it's like yin and yang. Yeah, that's so crazy, um, and. So 
they start to to leave. They they walk out, and uh, Varys reveals now that the Ironborn and the Dornish allies were attacked, and the fleet was destroyed on the way to Dorne. And oh fuck, that sucks. Two or three ships escaped. The rest are sunk or captured. Ilaria and the Sand Snakes are dead or captured. The Greyjoys are dead or captured. Danny's like all of like, them. Fuck <laughs> all of them. Yeah, God damn. So brutal. And that's uh, that's it for my number four. I just love that whole scene. Like I said, just so good to see ice and fire brought together and these two comparable characters being introduced to each other and seeing the the beginning of the respect that they're going to form for each other and um, just the admiration that will de- develop. And uh, I would have, you know, like John, my jaw, jaw would have dropped too. Just <laughs> I would have fallen in love instantly. <laughs> So that was my number three. All right. And we've already done my number two. So what's your number three? So my number three is Sam has cured Jorah. Oh, nice. Okay. That's just the, like the, the, the Citadel scenes in their entirety, basically. So we get Archmaester Ebros, Samwell Tarly, and Jorah Mormont all standing in the quarantine room. And (laughs) Ebros is prodding (laughs) Jorah with this retractable, stick basically is retractable what is that is it i felt like he was like testing something with it like i guess pain pain stiffness of the surface probably um one thing that they the character in the books who gets grayscale what he does every day is prick the tips of his fingers with a knife to make sure that he can still feel them um, oh, so you start losing feeling the, the, your finger, your, your skin becomes hard, etc. So he's probably testing to see if the skin is soft. He's probably testing to see if Jorah can feel it, um, to see if there's if any pain, any, you know, stuff like that. So, uh, it's just funny though, that he's prodding him with his stick. <laughs> it's pretty great. And so he's like pretty stoked about it. He's like, does it hurt? And he's like a bit less than before. And he's amazed. He's like, the infection appears to no longer be active. Like, this is pretty radical, guys. He's, I love that Jorah's like looking over at Sam like. Like, what do we say? I don't know what to say here. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and he's like, this is highly unusual, unlikely. Um, you know, it, it one could almost be forgiven for thinking the entire upper layer of deceased skin was debrided and the underlying region retreated with some sort of ointment. <laughs> Like he obviously knows. Which is exactly what Sam told Jorah. Exactly what happened. Because he knows the the treatment that that Sam had um, mentioned to him a couple episodes, last episode. He knows the process. He knows Sam was thinking about it. And all of a sudden it seems to have happened. Jorah's like, "Um, I don't know anything about that. I just started feeling better. (laughs) Yeah. It was probably the rest or maybe the climate. Oh my God. Maester Ebros. Archmaester Ebros is like the, the climate. climate. Yeah. You're free to go. <laughs> this chamber is needed for the infectious and you're so not good. infected anymore. Hey, Tarly, <laughs> I need to speak with you in my study. <laughs> Getting called uh, to the principal's office. Totally. So funny. You're in trouble now. You are in trouble now. You got some splaining to do, Lucy. Lucy. Lucy, you got some splaining to do. Oh my god, I used to watch I Love Lucy all the time when I was yeah, little. When I was little, yeah, same here. So Ebros walks out and Jor- uh, Jorah and Sa- Samuel lingers for a minute to speak with Jorah. 
And uh, Jorah is a little concerned for Samwell's um, apprenticeship at the Citadel, it seems. But Samwell's like, you know, well, it is what it is. I'm happy that I helped you. Like, it was worth it, basically, you know. And he asks uh, Jorah, where will he go? And Jorah has a great little monologue here. Great prose. I surrendered to the sickness the moment I first saw it. I knew it would kill me or I'd kill myself before it could. Daenerys Stormborn convinced me otherwise. The only place for me is with her. I owe my life to her and you. Great moment. Jorah's. I loved that. He's so good. I just love his voice and and like he's his so sentiment. Sincere. Yeah, he's so sincere. And Samwell, you know, turns it right back. He's like, Your father saved me more than once. It's the least I could do. Truly. And the they, least. Uh, like when he's falling behind in the line uh coming back from the fist right. of the first men and rast wants to just leave him mm-hmm. and he's like you're not gonna die today yeah and he keeps he makes sure that one of the knights is, oh it's wow that has to stay you're with not him. gonna die today tarly you i forbid you to, from dying today right mm-hmm. that's basically yeah. what what sam said to jorah last episode Right. He's like, my name is Samuel Tarley and you are not going to die tonight, Jorah Mormont. <laughs> yep, exactly. Just mirroring what Jorah said to Sam. Perfect. I didn't even realize that. So Jorah's like, perhaps our paths will cross again. And of course they sure they're going will. to, you know, I'm so excited for that. Sam's like, I hope they do. And in a huge moment, a very powerful gesture. Yes. By, oh my God. Sam, the he, first human contact that he's had since he got the grayscale, yes. essentially. Yeah. He reaches out his hand to shake Jorah's hand. And Jorah hesitates for a moment. Samwell is confident in his own treatment here, man. Like he's not worried he's going to get <laughs> grayscale himself. It's pretty wild. So Jorah reaches out and shakes Sam's hand. And it's a really, really powerful moment. And and Samwell turns and walks out and Jorah turns to the window and smiles in a beautiful shot where he's just his he has his life back and the opportunities are endless. He's looking out that window at a vast expanse of opportunity and yeah. anything is possible. Excellent moment. So then it cuts to Sam meeting with Ebros later in the <laughs> in the Archmaster's <laughs> study. And Ebros is like, you treated him. And Sam's like, yeah, yeah, I did. <laughs> Who told you to do it? No one. Oh, Who forbade no one. you from attempting to treat him? I seem to remember you. <laughs> Hilarious moment. And he's like, but you did it anyway. Yep. And he, he explains that he forbade him to do it because this is an extremely dangerous process that's rarely successful, especially on someone that's as old as Jorah is, like, it barely worked with Shireen, whatever process was used. And it was only because she was so young. That's what everybody thinks, right? He's like, you could have infected yourself. You could have infected everybody else at the Citadel. You could have you taken could have, down the whole Citadel. Uh, yeah, the whole <laughs> operation. like, oh, damn. I didn't think that far. Right. But you didn't. It's a meticulous, difficult procedure. Many maesters who ch- whose chains are heavy with the healing links have attempted it and failed. But you succeeded. How? Well... I read the books and followed, followed the instructions. The instructions. <laughs> yeah, it's so funny, but it's like it just goes to show you how like that Sam is is an important figure. So super smart. Yeah, he's super smart. He's very gifted, very smart. He's yeah. He, there's something special about him that he's he's careful too. Like he's um, I don't want to say meticulous because he's not quite meticulous, but he's um God, what's the word measured. I'm looking for? Yeah, but like. 
not cautious. I don't know. I can't think of. He's very measured. Yeah. And just kind of even, even keeled. Like he, he follows the steps and sticks to the kind of cadence of his life right, in a right. way. Except for recently, since he's been stealing swords and <laughs> doing all this crazy stuff. I think he's starting to panic because I know he thinks he's running out of time. So yeah, he's really, like, but his personality is very, you know, rhythmic as far as, well, I've, read it in a book and I followed the instructions and the way he says things like that throughout the series. Right, right. And, well, I read it in a book. Well, I just, you know, closed my eyes and s- killed the white Walker. <laughs> yeah. That's what he knew about the passage under the night fort from reading it in a book, like, et cetera. Yeah. So yeah, I feel what you're saying. Yeah. So he just kind of goes about his life and he just very, he's very literal. That's the word I was more looking oh, for. All right. He's yeah, yeah, yeah. Literal, literal with his vow to the Night's Watch. Vow translations. Yep. He's literal to like, well, how did you do this? He doesn't give like long, lengthy descriptions. He's like, well, I just, I read it in a book. I took the book literally. Right, and right, I, right, right. I produced the result because I was literal with the instructions. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, he's very literal and clinical and... Well suited for this type of thing, I would say. He's a perfect maester. Yeah, absolutely. And he's slightly poetic. So his song of ice and fire yeah. will be a good read. We've enjoyed it so far. <laughs> so is Samuel Tarley George R.R. R. Martin? <laughs> that is the implication. There are people like there have been many comparisons made between um you know, where George compares himself to Samwell and says that's like the character that's based on him. Um from what nice. I remember. So yeah. So Ebros kind of strays from the expected path of Sam here and tells him in a very sincerely, you know, he, he, even though you almost destroyed everything, you didn't. And he's like, that man is alive because of you. You should be proud in a really like warm moment between the two of them. And Samuel's kind of surprised. And he's like, thank you, Archmaester, you know, <laughs> and Ebros is like, come here, come over here. I want to show you something. And he walks over to this gnarly table full of like moldy scrolls and books and stuff. And he's like, I want you to transcribe all these, bitch. <laughs> and in that pile is the private diary. Because that's what he's doing, sitting with Gilly when she yeah. asks, who's who's Ragar, you know, and yeah, what's, a, exactly. what's an annulment? He's, that's he's how he transcribing learns. all of those scrolls and books. Fate is and, meant to to um, do this. Gilly is just reading them as he's doing it. And so that information is just sitting in a pile of crap on Ebros's desk. Right. And just by happenstance, um, he's assigned to read it and rewrite it. I think that they, they probably like had maester, have maesters constantly looking for, for scrolls and things that need to be rewritten as monitoring the condition of the ones out there. They probably like collect them and deliver them to this area of the Citadel operation for, for um, being copied and restored. And it just so happens that this batch has that information in it and that Sam is assigned to this batch. What are the odds, right? Crazy. (laughs) Careful of those paper mites though. They like the flesh. Oh God. Sam just deals with all sorts of horrors at the Citadel, huh? (laughs) (laughs) Hilarious. And Ebros is like, ah, you were expecting a reward. (laughs) Your reward is not being expelled immediately. Better get started. Enjoy. At least you don't have to clean shit bots tonight. Yeah, totally. So nice. yeah, that's it for my number three. Samwell 
hearing Jorah and the, the Citadel stuff, which was kind of fun. So what's your number two? My number two is Casterly Rock. <laughs> nice. I'm glad that you had this in your top five because I wanted to put it there and I just didn't. <laughs> cool. So you want to talk about my number two? Yeah, let's talk about your number two. We've already done my number two. Right, right. Okay. So it cuts to Dragonstone in the chamber of the painted table. And Danny and Varys and Missandei and Tyrion are hanging out, talking strategy. And Danny's so pissed about their fleet. She's just like, we need to find Euron's ships and just roast them. And she, she's like, I'm not set talking about sending more of our fleet out. Um, I want to fly Drogon and just burn the shit out of them all. And Tyrion and Missandei are cautioning her against it. Remember how they were flying over those ships at the battle at Marine, and yeah, I was I think freaking that's out. Where she got the idea. Oh, totally. And I, but it made me nervous, just like it makes Tyrion and Missandei nervous here. They're like, no, 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 no. You're too valuable. It would only take one arrow to take you down, and we can't have that. I think she could get a lot of them blown up though because it they're not looking up if you know what i mean their fleet isn't looking up for an attack they're looking out onto the horizon but so you got people she, on the crow's nests looking everywhere you'd see that fucking dragon coming a mile away yeah but like they come in so fast like they'd have to like hurry to their stations and knock and loose like she could burn like three or four ships right off the bat before they're even fucking ready i don't know it depends on how how quickly they're able to catch them off guard. If they're out in the middle of the water, they could probably see them coming from miles away and have all the time in the world to get ready. True. Those dragons are big as a 747. You think you're not going to see a 747 flying up on you? Well, you don't really see, you don't see Drogon at the loot train battle until they're up there. He's upon them. (laughs) Uh, I mean, he comes like flaming out of the clouds. Like he's, he's hidden in the clouds. Oh, I guess they could use cloud cover. Yeah. That's a good point. That's a good tactic. I live, I live in the Bay area. So we deal with fog on a freaking, especially in the summer on a daily basis. I mean, like the fog rolls in, it's literally a blanket. Right. I love you cannot see, you can see it rolling in over the hills. It looks like a tidal wave coming. Looks like the white walkers are going to arrive. It's crazy. (laughs) I love the fog. I'm going to miss the fog here for sure. It's super cool. Especially when you're in the city and you get like a view of the bridge and all of a sudden, like it just disappears into the fog. fog. That's cool. So, I mean, there's cloud cover on the water. There's usually more weather out on the water because of the. It's true. I'll give you that. Maybe they could use cloud cover. Good. Yeah, but I'll also give it to you that it's hard to hide a 747. (laughs) But I'll tell you what, around here with the fog. We see him dip in and out of the fog all the time. It's like, oh, there it goes. It just totally disappeared. Right, right, right. And if she's flying high enough, you know. Imagine the size of the shadow she would cast. Damn. (laughs) Oh, my God. That'd be huge. That'd be so cool. So massive. I love it. Yeah. So, I mean, she could do it, but I understand why they're expressing disconcern for her doing it. You know, it's seriously dangerous. Oh, yeah. Totally. Totally. So Danny's like, I wouldn't be alone. The dragons would protect me. And they're like, no, 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 not happen. It's not happening. And so Danny's like, well, what about Casterly Rock? And we learned that the Unsullied will be there soon. 
but that they're going to be expected. Cersei believes that Tyrion's whole purpose in life is to destroy House Lannister, so she's going to expect an attack and be ready for it. And then it cuts to Casterly Rock, and through while Tyrion is narrating the situation, we're seeing everything unfold just as he imagines it, right? <laughs> and first of all, Casterly Rock is beautiful. I, I thought this Super was a cool. gorgeous it's like right castle. up on that cliff. Yeah. Oh, man. Not unlike High Garden, actually, which is located on a giant top of a hill itself. Yes. Um, Lots of similarities yeah, out totally. in the West. Yeah. So it's just gorgeous. And Tyrion is talking about how no one has ever taken the rock except for Lan the Clever, House Lannister, when they took it from the Casterlies. Um, but no one's taken it since they've taken it, at least. Lan Clever, the Clever kind of like convinced them it was haunted and you know, there's a whole story about it. Oh, and so they've like vacated. Something like, I don't remember exactly how they ended up getting the castle, but um, he's going through all the details about how the Lannisters will have 10,000 men at least, and they'll see them coming. And we see the ships arriving and we see Grey Worm as he's getting his helmet on and ready for battle. And Tyrion is, there's archers just shooting down um, all over the place as the Unsullied have landed and they're starting to try to storm the walls of the castle. And Tyrion is talking about how the gates of Casterly Rock are impregnable. And I love his brawn reference here. <laughs> he says, the, you know, the, the gates are impregnable. The, the, the fight up the walls will be hard. We're going to lose a lot of men. They'll be at a disadvantage. And he starts talking about how Tywin had built up Casterly Rock um, like in their house from nothing. He's, he built their army. He built Casterly Rock the way it is now, but he didn't build the sewers. Tyrion was in charge of that. And he it turns out that Tyrion built a secret whore passageway <laughs> for himself, <laughs> which is a sneaky little way that they could go through this little crevice in the rocks down at the waterline. Very, very sneaky, sir. And to sneak up through a guard tower where it connects. Sneaky, sneaky, sir. And I thought this was interesting because Tyrion built himself a whore passageway, right? And in the books, it's implied that, like, there are these whore passageways from the Red Keep where Tyrion goes through a closet and emerges down in a whorehouse in, in Flea Bottom, basically. Um, and so there's these passages from the, from the castle so that people could make secret trips to the whores. And rumor is that Tywin had these passages built at the Red Keep. Spe oh, how funny. Speculation is that Tywin, although no, like people, people think that Tyrion even thinks that Tywin never fucked around with horrors or anything like that. He was shocked to find Shay in Tywin's bed. But Tywin, the reason people may not have thought he ever like fucked with horrors or anything like that was because he was so secretive about it. Because he had these passageways. Exactly. Yeah. He was just so slick about it. So Tyrion built horror passageways at Casterly Rock. Tywin may have built them at the Red Keep. But this whore passageway <laughs> is going to enable them to sneak in and and open up Casterly Rock from the inside, basically. So it's a passage that began by the sea and ended beneath one of the main guard towers, Tyrion is saying, as Grey Worm and his Unsullied are infiltrating through the the dark crevasse in, in the this opening in the stone. So cool looking. Totally. And this is where Tyrion throws in his awesome brawn reference. He says, Casterly Rock, the impregnable fortress. But as a good friend of mine once said, give me 10 good men and I'll impregnate the bitch. <laughs> yeah. Love it. Love it. Talking about the veil, brawn in like season two. Yeah. Or season one, maybe even. I think it might have been season one. 
Yeah, totally was actually. Cause it was when they were on the way to the Vale, um, after Tyrion was captured by Catelyn Stark. Yeah. So, uh, and so it begins, Tyrion says. They will fake, face the bulk of the Lannister forces and be outnumbered. They'll have less armor and fewer weapons, but they'll have the advantage because they'll be fighting for a cause, fighting for freedom and for the person who gave them freedom. They'll be fighting for you, Danny, and that is why our Unsullied will triumph. Mm, so crazy. But this is where things start to go awry in Tyrion's plan. And instead of finding 10,000 Lannister soldiers within the gate, the, the walls of Casterly Rock, that place is empty. And not only that, adding insult to injury, a sneak attack from Euron's fleet is happening out on the water again. It's so like, the, God damn it. The whole like water situation is just fucked at this point right just totally dominated by the ruthless euron the master of the the the, like like cersei says the greatest captain in the 14 seas right so that's crazy plan is backfiring as the remaining Greyjoy fleet is just being decimated and gray worm is freaking out as he's watching it happen from above the wall from atop the battlements of casterly rock and he's like where the hell are the rest of the lannisters they're he's supposed to be so many more than like this. Dead. Yeah, he's like <laughs> he's like interrogating like this dying guy. Yeah, and we learn the truth of the situation and where they've gone as the camera cuts to High Garden and the Lannister forces are marshaling this is my outside. Number one. Me too. So let's talk about it. You you go ahead with it. I love the this the shot of the Lannister soldiers marching up to High Garden. I love High Garden up in the background. It looks so beautiful down there in the in the west and in the reach, I guess. And what a what a castle. And then we get this amazing aerial shot of the army advancing. And I love their formation. It's yeah, how cool is that? It made me think of the the um the marching band at, uh, what is it? Ohio yeah. state university doing the yeah. video game music, like the formations of all the band members out on the field. Yeah. Really intricate military formation they have out there. It's pretty cool. So we don't actually see the battle for high garden. Right. And I'm kind of glad because the high garden, the, those soldiers aren't really. They're not people we want to see like, dying. Yeah. Like fancy fighters or anything. So we cut into the actual courtyard of High Garden and the battle's over. And Jamie's walking through the courtyard and there are dead people everywhere. Everywhere. And we also get a shot right before that of Lady Olena looking out her window of her tower. I love that, on- that little window and that side of that tower is just gorgeous. Beautiful stonework. What a castle. So sh- we see Jamie, he's starting up towards that area of the castle. And walks then, right to the chamber. Yeah, he walks right into her chamber and there she is sitting alone at a table. And again, very similar feeling that I got to Danny. It's like this super powerful woman is like sitting there quietly in the dark. In an expanse of a room all alone and small. Well, and the room's lit up, but where she's sitting is shaded and dark. Well, I didn't, re- I didn't realize just, that. Yeah. Um, so it just felt like oh she's brooding strong powerful woman is defeated and she asks is it done so sad oh man such a brutal question <sighs> yes it is and now the rains weep o'er our halls did we fight well well 
I suppose, as well as can be expected. Melina's like, that was never our forte. Golden yeah. roses, indeed. They're not exactly known for their martial forces. Yeah, yeah. Um, she goes, I figured you were defending Casterly Rock from your brother. And he goes, the truth is, is Casterly Rock is dry. Like, it, we don't have any use for it anymore. Damn. Um, minus my fond childhood memories. But that so doesn't mean just, shit to Cersei. <laughs> yes. And Lena's like, you just let him take it. Then he goes, well, for now, they won't be able to hold it. We've learned that, you know, that was Euron's Navy burning the ships that they've emptied all of the supplies out of there. Yeah. So they don't have any food or any kind of stuff to live. So they're going to eventually have to leave. And then now they're going to have to march all the way across Westeros. Fucking brutal. Because they lost all their ships. Sons of bitches. And we find that um, this was the tactic that Rob Stark used on Jamie. So he kind of learned from his mistake with Rob. Yeah, lure him into one place and then your army's an entirely different place. <laughs> you fuck him on the other side. Yep. So she asks him, why didn't your father take Highgarden in the moment your gold mines ran dry? And Jamie doesn't really answer. And she goes, well, I'm going to be able to ask him soon enough. So how did she know forward. that the gold mines were dry? That's what I want to know. Well, I think because earlier he said that the truth is, is they're not worth much anymore. Oh, he's talking about Casterly Rock. He goes, the truth is Caster Casterly Rock isn't worth much. Right, anymore. Like there's no gold left. Damn. Yes. Gotcha. There's nothing there. Very interesting. You no. Know? So that shows how sharp she is. Yeah, really she sharp. She picked up on that. Um, you know, how are you going to kill me, basically? Are you going to do it with a sword? And I, we find that Jamie wields Widow's Whale. Widow's Whale, yeah. <laughs> he really was a cunt, wasn't he? Oh, you can always <laughs> count on Olena. This, is, this has her thinking about Joffrey. So Joffrey's yeah. on her mind already here. Yeah. Um. You know, I never really lost a night's sleep over the things that I did to protect my family. They were necessary. And we know what she's talking um, about, but Jamie doesn't know yet. Yeah. And then she realizes, you know, well, I can't imagine. I couldn't imagine the things that Cersei did. She's a fucking monster. Right. That's a, what she, she outplayed says, me, basically. That was my prize mistake, a failure of imagination. And that's what, like... What it's a really important lesson. You have to be able to think like a hardcore criminal. Otherwise, you're not going to be prepared for it. Well, and that's what we get with Cersei. This exactly. episode, I imagine what I do to my enemies. I lay awake in bed looking up at the canopy, imagining what I could do to Elia Martell. Well, she is the hardcore criminal. <laughs> so I know. You have to train like, yourself to be able to think like that, to get into the mindset of a hardcore criminal so that you can know how to defend against them. And that's what Baelish is saying. Think about the way that people think. Think about every possible option. She's, But she's saying, like, I could never imagine those things because your sister's a monster and I'm not a monster. I My mind can't even go to those places. Right. So Jamie continues. Um, yeah, Jamie attempts in this point to rationalize his feelings for Cersei and to justify her actions because Olena had asked, she's a monster. You do know that, right? <laughs> like well to others maybe and she's like oh my god you poor fool you love her she will be the end of you foreshadowing 
Maybe. I mean, I still think Jamie's going to kill Cersei. Yeah. Maybe have to die himself in the process or think maybe. about this. George, they could subvert our expectation and in a, in, a, in a moment where Cersei's about to be killed by Arya or something, Jamie could freak out and stab Arya and kill her to save Cersei. Oh, fuck. And it could then result in Jamie being like eaten by a dragon or something like that. <laughs> oh, <laughs> like maybe, maybe Jamie will, it will end up being his downfall in the end that he'll still have some allegiance to Cersei after everything. Who knows? So Jamie doesn't really want to hear this. And, you know, he goes, there's, I don't really want to talk about this with you. Um, there's really not a, a point. And he goes, well, Elena's great. She goes, well, what better person to discuss it with? I'm going to be fucking dead in five minutes. Right. He, what better guarantee can you have that the things you say will never leave this room? I love that. I thought that was so smart. Like it's yeah. true. It's a great opportunity for him to hash out some of these difficult emotional <laughs> things. He's yeah. Going like through. why not just like, I mean, confess essentially and just get it out off your chest because she's going to be dead soon. I love Elena. She goes, she's a disease. Yep. I regret my role in spreading it. You will too. Yeah. And Jamie even admits that it's beyond his control at this point that mm-hmm. you know, like, like she says, if she's driven you this far, it's gone beyond your control. And she, this is when she brings up the death, how she's going to die again. She's like, how will it happen? And like you said, Cersei lying in bed, imagining ways to kill her enemies. Jamie runs through a list of ideas well, that Cersei had. <laughs> yeah, She had a few ideas dragging her through King's Landing. She goes, will there be pain? He goes, no, I've made sure of that. Cause right at this moment, he's pouring the vial into the glass of wine. So she oh, knows right. it's poison at this point. Yeah. She, he's like, Beheading you, whipping you through the streets, flaying you alive and hanging you from the walls of King's Landing. And, but he tells her, I talked her out of those. So he's like, yep. he's sort of on Olena's side here. He like, he doesn't want to see her tortured or in pain. Like he's at least making it as painless as possible. Right. Cause he doesn't think she has anything to do with Joffrey's death. <laughs> exactly. So he's sympathetic to her and he's making a point of telling her that he's sympathetic to her on some level. So then the, when he learns the truth, it's even more of a slap in his face. He's like, I, you know, I'm so, I was surprised that he didn't pull out widow's whale and cut her head off. Oh, really? Yeah. I thought that that sword was going to come out when she confessed. Oh, damn. Why not? That would have been poetic. It is. It was Joffrey's sword. Right. And he met. I think that's why she was asking if that was Joffrey's sword because she didn't want to die by it. Oh, man. That would be it would have been another full circle type thing. (laughs) You know? Yeah. Maybe that's why the show didn't do that. Maybe. You know, let Elena be the G in this moment. And, you know, she goes, that's good. I hate to die like your son clawing at my neck, foam and bile spilling out of my mouth. And at first we're just thinking like, um, cause Jamie tells her that the, the, the poison will be painless at first. Yeah. It could just come across as if she was traumatized by seeing Joffrey's horrific poisoning and she doesn't want to go through the same thing, but it not becomes at all what she intended. <laughs> right. Yeah. It becomes more apparent that that's not the case as she continues. Right. Tell Cersei, I want her to know it was me. And yeah. I'm like, Oh, Damn. Cue the blunt and the glasses. Yeah, totally. <laughs> it's great, though, when she's going through that description, she's like, it must have been horrible, horrible for you as a Kingsguard, you know, watching as your king father. dying as a father, watching your, your son dying. And the way that she drops the bomb is so cool. She's like, it was horrible enough for me. A shocking scene. You know, and like at first, 
we're thinking like it was horrible enough for me. That makes sense. As a bystander, it was still horrible. Like even though she wasn't related or anything like that, didn't have an obligation to protect, protect him. But the, her next line erases that possibility. She says, not at all what I intended. And we realize she means it was horrible enough for me, even though like, because I didn't want it to be painful and awful like that. I wanted it to be a, like a, a quick painless death. And Jamie is like, like he looks shocked as he realizes what she did and that it was her. And as she continues to confirm it by expanding on her statement saying, you see, I'd never seen the poison work before. And Jamie is just like, oh my God, like what the fuck? And that's when she says, tell Cersei, I want her to know it was me. And Jamie just like, his face just like gets all distorted and twisted as he just anger pours through him and he storms out and, and uh, leaves Elena alone sitting there to die. Oh, it's just crazy. Man. Such a moment. What a moment. What I a love moment. Elena. And I love that she went out so badass. Yeah. And she took all the credit for it too. She didn't want to give little finger any credit for, <laughs> for his part in it. No, I want her it, to know it was, it was me. me. <laughs> uh, that's great. Nice. All right. Do you want to move on to notes? Yeah, totally. So my first note is Theon getting scooped out of the ocean by the Ironborn. Me too. And they they are mad as hell that he didn't save Yara or die trying. The captain's like, your sister's dead. Theon's like, Euron has her. Yeah, she is. (laughs) I know. I don't know. Euron has her. You saw him take her and you got away. (laughs) He's like, I couldn't save her. I tried. You wouldn't be here if you tried. And they all kind of just like walk away from him. And that's all we get for Theon. (laughs) Those guys all try to kick his ass pretty soon too, huh? Yeah, I was going to say that's the guy that tries to knee him in the balls. Yeah, 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 yeah. Tries to, but there's no balls to knee. There's no balls to knee. (laughs) He does knee him in the groin, but he doesn't knee him in the balls. (laughs) My next note is... John and Tyrion brooding together. Yes, in typical fashion, John is brooding. This time, Cliffside. All by himself. <laughs> and yeah, Tyrion, it's like a little bit of a meta joke here as he comes out saying he came to brood himself over his failure to predict the Greyjoy attack. <laughs> I love when he says, you make me feel like I'm failing at brooding over failing. <laughs> <laughs> yes, such a great line. He's such a it's wordsmith. so fucking awesome. Yeah, it's, it's amazing. He's like, you look a lot better brooding than I do as well. Which is hilarious. You're making it difficult. And John's difficult like, for me. I'm done with this bullshit. Like, I'm a prisoner. I'm a prisoner on this island. And Tyrion, like, to your point, so words, well, you're not really a prisoner. You're free to walk the castle, the beaches, uh, you go wherever you want. Yeah, semantics. dude, except my home. <laughs> yeah, they took my ship. I can't I go home. say we took your ship. <laughs> I wanted, he he even says, I'm not playing word games with you. I wanted him to say so that I'm not playing the game of words with oh, you. Oh, right, right, right. Yeah, that would have been funny. <sighs> and he's back on the dead thing. The dead are coming for us all. And Tyrion. Um, Tyrion's like, why don't we try to like fi- f- solve each other's problems since we're both kind of in a conundrum yeah, here. Like, you, I just lost all of our allies. Yeah, you figure out what to do about my missing fleet. I'll figure out what to do about your walking dead men. <laughs> and you can see that John is so frustrated here because he really understands. It has to sound fucking crazy when he tells people. Exactly. And he didn't that do himself. There's an army of, a dead after, of the dead after them. Totally. And he did not do himself any favors with the way that he brought it up. It was like awkward 
awkward and just like no like no easing into it or explanation just like the dead army is coming south and you're like what the fuck but how do you how do you lessen that blow i do, like how be like you- listen i went up north crazy shit started happening happening but that's not john you know he's not a man of words if it were Tyrion, sure but right, john right. is he's so um he's not a bleeding poet I'm not a bleeding poet. <laughs> well, I don't know. I'm not a bleeding poet. No, you're really not. <laughs> so, um, I love that here that John says that he goes, it really is. If someone told me about the White Walkers, the Night King, like, of course people don't believe me. It sounds right. fucking it's, crazy. It's redonkulous. And Tyrion is great here. He goes, I actually do right. believe you. And this was mirroring Ebros believing Sam at the Citadel. Interestingly, too, right? Yeah, and John kind of pokes back at him back to season one. He was like, you didn't before. You called them grump, grumpkins and snarks. Like, you said it was nonsense. It was all nonsense. Everybody knew it. It made me think of that line, it is known that Jiqui uh, and they would say, you know, the, the oh, Dothraki handwritten. Yeah, everybody knew it. It was known, he could have said. But then Mormont saw them and you saw them. And I trust the eyes of an honest man more than I trust what everybody knows. And that's a good line because it's just showing you that consensus is not like confirmation necessarily. No, people used to think True. that the earth is flat. People still do. Some people. <laughs> and so, you know, things like that, like people that think that the earth or thought that the earth was the center of the universe, the geocentric theory until um, Copernicus came up with a heliocentric theory, which was later proved to be accurate. So it's just, you know, consensus does not determine reality. It's it's better to, and Tyrion recognizes the value in the observations of an honest person rather than the mythology that the commoners pass around, essentially. You know what I mean? And John has a great question. And he says, even says that he goes, I know it's a good question. He goes, how do I convince people that don't know me that there's an enemy that they don't believe in that's coming to kill us all? Right, right. <laughs> And I love, oh my God, I love Tyrion here. People's minds aren't made for problems that large. White Walkers, the Night King, Army of the Dead. It's almost a relief to, conf- to confront a familiar monster like my sister. <laughs> so we have Elena calling her a monster yep. and Tyrion <clears throat> calling her a monster this and I, episode. In this episode, yeah. And I think she even basically referred to herself as being a monster before when she said like, she's nothing like me, not a monster talking about Marcella, how she was good. Oh damn. Oh my God. That's crazy. Yeah. So everybody knows Cersei's a monster, all this monster talk. It wouldn't surprise me if she actually does try to form an alliance with the night King, (laughs) you know what I mean? Oh, the ice queen. He goes, I would really like to leave. I need to prepare my, my, my people. If you guys aren't going to help me, I have to go. Right. Like, oh man, it's, I just had like a, a brand, like my, my mind just like blew for a second. Imagine if ice and fire is totally like John and Danny is a total red herring. And it's, it's not what we thought it was at all. It's John and Danny represent fire and Cersei and the night queen night King represent ice. <laughs> I was thinking that too. When we were talking about monsters, I was like, what if Cersei turns into a white Walker and like, Oh man, that'd be so the cool. King, the night like, King converts her. her. Dude, if the night King could convert <laughs> Cersei, like touches her, 
skin doesn't kill her, but like those babies just touches her and yeah. turns her. That so would be so intelligent. Cool. Maybe that baby turning was foreshadowing like a, a character getting turned. I was wondering that a long time ago, like nothing became of that. And I would always think like, Okay, so they can grow. So yeah, that means they age. They're alive. Those those are alive. The White Walkers are living. They're not dead, resurrected like whites. They are living beings. They're conscious beings, exactly. Yeah. And we we see this baby, and I found it interesting. Like the Night King doesn't seem to age because we saw him as a male adult getting the dragon glass like shoved through his chest. Yep. He and John have both been stabbed in the chest. Oh, that's true. Interesting. That's crazy. Um, all of his like lieutenants, I guess I'll call them like the f- the horsemen of the apocalypse. Fuck yeah, those are the guys are the coolest. They're all kind of adults, and so we have this baby being turned. Like, so the baby ages. Yeah, I'm, like, I'm guessing that a lot of those White Walkers are Craster's sons. At least, you know, some of them probably. Some of them. And yeah, all, all we sure. know of are the 13 that were gathered together for that 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 um, ceremony where they turned that baby. But Craster had 99 sons. So, oh, my God. Yeah. So there could be a whole lot more White Walkers out there that we're unaware of. Damn, that could I, I would think that would be really a crazy way to end it. I don't necessarily think that will happen, but it's a crazy thought. I feel yeah. like it's kind of a left field theory. Yeah, I mean, that's more like book territory, I'm imagining. It could very well be. I think it's too much to take in as a as a sh- from a show perspective because there's just so little time left. Yep. And they would have to have like rapidly aged as well. A lot of them at least. Maybe like 45 of them would be fully adults. Yeah, totally. I don't know. I don't know. And Cersei's going to have to get up north somehow. Yeah. Unless Um, the the Night King rides down on Viserion, (laughs) lands in King's Landing. Because Daenerys refused to fly into King's Landing. What if that foreshadows the Night King not refusing? What if that is the shadow that we see in Bran's vision? Oh my God, is the Night King flying to King's Landing, joining up with Mm -hmm. Cersei? And then that's why the throne room is all filled with snow because the <laughs> Night King has been there. Snow and ash. Yeah. Oh, Crazy. Man. Who knows? You know, so John continues, you know, I'm a northern fool. Essentially, everyone told me to not go south. Don't answer the summon, summon to the Mad King's daughter. And again, we get this sentiment here that we got back in Marine that children are not their fathers. Luckily for all of us, Tyrion says. Right. Um, you know, sometimes there's more to foreign invaders than northern fools that meets the eye. Um, we Tyrion continues to educate John on who Danny is as a person. Right. Yeah. About a little bit about her character and intent. Yeah. She she could have she could have sailed to Westeros a long time ago, but she didn't because she wanted to save people. Right. That's what she does. She saves people from monsters just like you. Yeah. Just like you. It's like, damn, that's why she came here. He's like, ask people, ask her followers why they follow her. Yeah. And, and I love, I love Tyrion here. He's so fucking good at this. He goes, she's not going to head north to fight, to fight an army that she's like never seen before on a word from someone she doesn't know. That's not a reasonable thing to ask. And John takes that as like an insult. He takes it as like, he's offended. It's like an attack. He takes it as, and so he, uh, 
not as a beckoning to change tactics and ask for something reasonable. Like, so he, let's come up with a solution. Right, here. So he's like, oh, and gets kind of like frustrated. He thinks Tyrion he is attacking him and he starts to leave. Yeah, because he thinks Tyrion is like coming at him, you know, <laughs> like what's wrong? Like, what are you stupid? Uh, you're not being reasonable. And so as John starts to walk away, Tyrion is like, so do you have anything reasonable to ask? Like, like maybe you are a Northern fool. I'm not telling you that this we're done here and insulting you. I'm, I'm trying, asking how yeah. can I help you? Yeah. But we can't, we can't expect Danny to stop her war on Cersei and turn her, you know, focus North. Like let's start, let's, let's start move the goalposts a little bit at a time. We both need each other. I realize this. I believe just, you about the night King. We yeah. need you, you just need to get your to, nose under the tent. <laughs> Exactly. You just need to like give her something tangible to hold on to, to, to start the, the beginnings of an alliance. Yeah. Ask for something small that she's willing to concede. And then we cut to Danny and dragon glass. Yes. Volcanic glass obsidian. He says you have a tremendous amount of it here. <laughs> Why are we talking about glass Tyrion? Uh, yeah. We just lost Two major allies. This is why I'm talking to Jon Snow, girlfriend. <laughs> yeah. And what does the king in the north want with all this dragon glass? Well, it can be turned into weapons to kill the White Walkers that he's so freak, like freaking out about. Like, or, or destroy them or something. I'm not sure about the nomenclature. <laughs> Whatever the nomenclature is for that Hilarious whole situation. One. So she asks him. Yeah. She's like, well, what do you think about all this? And Tyrion admits to her... I, I like to admit that Jon Snow is wrong. I'd like to believe he's wrong. Yeah. <laughs> but then we have him trying to turn his words into wise men once said. Oh, my God. Again. Yeah. She calls him out on it. But a wise man once said that you should never believe a thing simply because you want to believe it. Which wise man was this? <laughs> uh, he's like <laughs> totally caught by surprise. I don't remember. She's like, are you trying to present your own statements as ancient wisdom? She like straight up calls him out on it. <laughs> Unlike Masande. <laughs> and Tyrion's I would like, never do that. Yeah, I would never do that. <laughs> to you. To you. It's <laughs> uh, so funny. So he continues. He's like, well, Jon Snow's here. And that's why I believe him. Because he would have not come. Everyone everyone on his side's telling him is cr he's crazy yeah, to I be here. I guarantee you his advisors told him not to come. It's but the dumbest anyways. thing he could possibly do. Yeah, he's like, he's, let yeah, him, he's here. He's, let him mind the fucking dragon glass so we can focus on Cersei. Let's, let's keep him around. Let's get him as an ally. Let's give him something that you don't even fucking care about. You didn't even know that it was here. It's unimportant to you. It, it doesn't serve our cause, essentially, this dragon, right. dragon I think glass. That also, what he's saying with the, the whole, um, like the thing about his advisors, like they told him not to come. I would have told him not to come if I would advise was advising him yet. He's here anyway. I think this is sort of Tyrion going through the steps of the Occam's razor thing again here with John, like the way that, um, Ebros had sort of said, well, the, the simplest explanation, Sam, is that you're telling the truth and that you believe you've seen what you say you've said you've seen. I think that Tyrion's going through the same thing like here, like all of his advisors are telling him not to come, but he's here anyway, which seems completely insane unless what he's saying is true, um, which sort of lends Tyrion to uh, be inclined to believe him. Yeah. So, you know, give him something by giving him nothing. Take Great a step line. Take a step forward to a more productive relationship to a possible ally. I mean, we need the North on our side if we're going to take the Seven Kingdoms. So, yeah, and he's like, the dragon glass is worthless. Who cares? Give it to him. Let's just move on. 
um, and continue our path to defeat Cersei while Jon Snow, a possible ally, is occupied with something little do they know that is really going to help their situation yeah. come come the war to come, you know, the main war to come here. Yep. Um, but they think it's kind of like silly. It's, you know, whatever. Right. But she she's been thinking about what Davos said. She has. Like, did you catch that, Tyrion? Catch what? He took a knife in the heart. Uh, and Tyrion's like, well, you got to allow them their flights for fancy. It's dreary in the north. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. Crazy, right? Tyrion he doesn't even know what to think of that. Yeah, I, I that he can't even wrap his mind around. Yeah, it's like they were so flummoxed when he when Davos said it that they were well, like. And also, Tyrion has never seen and, Danny walk out of the fire either. So these, I mean, I'm sure maybe he believes that, but he's never seen it for himself. So I think again, going back to what he said about uh, what he said to John is, it's hard for people to fathom shit like this. Yeah, totally. So I think this is what it's hard for him to fathom is like, oh, he died and came back to life. Like, right. that's impossible. Just like Olena said, too, like she couldn't even imagine the things that Cersei did. Like some things are just imagine- unimaginable. White Walkers, unimaginable concept. The dead army, unimaginable. Walking yeah. out of fire, bur- uh, birthing dragons from stone eggs, all unimaginable. Right. So, yeah, Definitely. It's a great it's a great moment for Tyrion to yep. help Danny kind of move forward and gain another ally, but also really show his political skills to keep people that could easily just say will be like, well, fuck you. No, fuck you. No, fuck you. Like now we're not friends anymore. He's kind of <laughs> like, let's let's massage this a little bit. Let's right, right. work this relationship. Let's keep Jon Snow around Figure and occupied. Yeah, we, we need an ally. Totally. Um, so then we cut to the walkway and Danny is at the bottom of the path. She's looking out. What a view. Oh yeah, my God. Beautiful. And John's creeping and up And the on dragons her. are flying over the ocean and oh, over man. the mountains. And, and John looks down and sees his girl. Yeah. And he admits, he goes, it's, it's an amazing thing to see. Yeah. This How about this amazing. though? She's standing down there unguarded and she's letting a rival king walk up behind her. Dude, like she's she's feeling she, pretty comfortable around John at this point already. I think she realizes that he's not a threat. I don't think I don't think she ever got the vibe. He said nothing about wanting the Iron Throne or any of that. Yeah, I mean, he's he he said as much. He said, "I'm not uh, like a threat to you, right?" So, like, I don't want what you want. But it's one thing for him to say that. It's another thing for her for her to believe it, and it's it's another thing entirely for her to actually not have people guarding her back with John around. So, the fact that a he's said she's it, totally b she believes him. him, and c she's removed her guards. Yeah, she's like really going out on a limb, trusting him here. It's pretty, totally. pretty amazing. So we, she tells him the name of two of her dragons. Ah, uh, yes. Drogon. She doesn't talk about Drogon here. Right. I named them for my brothers. I, I think we only see two dragons in this. Oh, that um, would make sense. Maybe Drogon's off hunting or something. Some, somewhere. Yeah. Hopefully they're not ro- driving or, or flying around Westeros, just roasting farms and stuff. <laughs> I think it's almost a good thing that they're out on an island. Yeah, but their range is. I mean, oh, it's Drogon miles. was flying I mean, around Valyria. He was Valyria. You know? yeah, <laughs> I'm exactly. surprised none of them have flown to Westeros before. Yeah. 
Um, so I named them for my brothers, Viserys and Rhaegar. They're both gone now. And I get another parallel, right? So I, many I parallels. Hear that you lost two brothers as well, dude. I'm like Dan. Well, and John at this point thinks Bran's probably dead too. So in yeah, his mind, three. he's like, "Girl, I've lost three brothers." Yeah. But we see Bran in a little bit. Yes, we do. Um, Computer Bran. I love Danny here. I think she's really pondering why Jon Snow is there. Um, she is. She's thinking about it. Same thing too. People thought dragons were gone forever, but here they are. So right. maybe we should all be examining what we think we know, and I think that's some self reflection on her. Yeah, and it's, it's like I just walked out of flames. I birthed dragons, and and apparently in the books I breastfed them. So is it really that far fetched that the Night King stories are true? Exactly. Nailed I mean. It. Let's be kind of real here. And John's like, you've been talking to Tyrion. Well, he is my hand. <laughs> he enjoys talking. Yes, we all enjoy what we're good at. I don't. Oh, man. Daenerys is like taken aback when John says, I don't. And she's like, whoa. Yeah. And I, I mean, I immediately thought like, well, he's really good at killing people. <laughs> yeah. Killing people and... inspiring devotion and being a leader yeah you know having to behead kids as small as ollie yep yeah killing people i think is (laughs) what he was probably thinking of too (laughs) or just having to do all this destiny stuff do you think danny picks up on that i think so probably i do too i I think i think that she makes it it makes her like him even more as well yeah so and, and oh my God. And that was, this is great to remember as well. Um, this is something that is a really important parallel for Danny to maybe catch. And I just realized that at the, this moment, it's something that I knew beforehand, but it just jumped into my head. Where else have we heard this? He was really good at killing, but it, it wasn't what he enjoyed. Um, didn't Sansa say that to the hound? About it, Ned, well, Stark? Ned Yes, Ned, but something that Danny may have heard before. Uh, Rhaegar. Rhaegar, John's father, was That's the same right. way. Great Sir at Barristan. killing. Barristan was telling her, like, she knew that he was supposed to be this amazing warrior. And Barristan told her, yeah, he was good at killing, but he never enjoyed it. Right. And that's exactly what John, Rhaegar's son, is saying here. Like a perfect parallel to his father. The same type of melancholy um, attitude and demeanor, brooding and moping. Rhaegar was constantly brooding over the tragedy at Summerhall where he was was born and where um, a lot of his family died, where Dunk died and where Egg died. Um, So there's a lot of parallels between John and Rhaegar and their personalities and their talents and their, what they like and what they don't like. And like, it's, it's another little clue for when we, when Danny does find out the truth, all these little things are going to pop into place and, it's, she's going to know that John is really Rhaegar's son based oh, on these little God. details. You know, the dragons liking him, the fact that he is good at killing, but doesn't like it. But doesn't like it. Melancholy yeah. demeanor. She know. will not be able to deny it. Yeah. And especially if Sam has a copy of that annulment, for instance. 
oh, maybe he did copy it. Yeah. I mean, that was the whole point of what he was doing was copying those documents. So he probably just made an extra copy for himself. Unless he wigged out and like left immediately. And maybe he brought it with him. Maybe he brought the original with him and just said, fuck it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. The original would be better. The original would be optimal. So important. Right. And so we will have one piece of physical evidence there. We'll have another eyewitness testimony when Mira Reed shows back up at Winterfell with Howland Reed, potentially, who was at the Tower of Joy. That would be so cool. Oh, I hope so. And then we have Bran who can like see it in detail. Yeah. And even, you know, and prove his worth by talking about things that happened to Danny that no one else would know. Yeah, exactly. So he can tell Danny like about the chipmunk she, you know, cared about when she was eight or something. and Exactly. Something of her childhood. Like maybe saying that she, you know, like talking to her brother about sewing dragon banners, Illyrio Mopatis. Right. Some like, secret. Some, you know, like something, something about- that no one else would have heard and or cared about. For Book Brand, the best thing for him to say would be to bring up the house with the red door to Danny, where she grew up yeah. that she longs for in her dreams. Or he could be weird like he's been lately and bring up some horrible shit that only Danny would know about, like <laughs> like he does with Sansa later in the episode. But we'll get to that. So, so she's like, I'm not going to let Cersei stay on the Iron Throne. And I haven't changed my mind about which kingdoms belong to that throne. And he goes, I haven't either. Yeah. And I think <laughs> his persistence here and his willingness to putting, put himself in danger, even though he's not going to bend the knee, is making Danny possibly believe him as well. Like realizing yeah. that he's dead serious about what he's saying. And uh, she decides to allow the mining Yep, I'm going to allow you to mine the dragon glass. And he's like, thank you. She's also going to provide resources and men he needs to mine it, too. That's pretty cool. intense. Yeah. yeah, that's pretty generous. Yeah, totally. And he's like, will you believe me then? The Night King and the Army of the Dead? She's like, you better get to work, Jon yeah, Snow. And he's like, God it. damn it. She won't <laughs> believe until off. she sees it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, which we get very soon here. Yes. Oh, man. Yeah, it's just a it's a great scene. Between the two of them. And you can already kind of feel the sexual tension between them because she kind of like looks back over her shoulder as as he walks away and doesn't really look at him in the conversation. I think he makes her uncomfortable in a sexual way. Interesting. You know what I mean? Yeah. She's yeah. Yeah, sure. She's looking out and I think his proximity to her. And I think if because we get we get that next episode in the cave where they get really close and you can just kind of feel the heat between them. Yeah, definitely. (laughs) So I think she's purposely like not looking at him because he makes her, um, fiery in her loins. uh, Yeah. Uncomfortable, like nervous, right? Her stomach's fluttering and yeah, it just, an, a sensation that she probably wasn't expecting to have with him. She's not, yeah, not used to. Yes. That's so funny. Yeah. Cause he's, she's going to realize that he's everything that she wants, you know, Uh, in terms of strategic value and just as a, as a hunk of man meat, a man. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. He's quite a man. So moving on, we are heading up to Winterfell, right? We are at Winterfell and Sansa is being the lady of Winterfell. She's making sure all of her people are fed and she realizes very quickly that they don't have a lot to feed the people that may be fleeing for safety to right. Winterfell. Yeah, Winterfell is a good place to hide out for like a lot of people in the north. In, in yeah, Gary. so Lord Royce basically is honest with her. He's like, I don't think you have enough. It's it's for the people currently here. It's about a year. 
Yeah. And what's the longest winter in the past 100 years? It's certainly longer than a year because we know this from... He's not certain, though. He's going to check Maester Lewin's records because he would keep copies of every Raven Scroll. That's kind of an important line. Yeah, because they pan over to Littlefinger. Yes. When he says that. Exactly. So he knows. And we know Littlefinger steals an important scroll later this season. Exactly. So Sansa's like, you're telling me that we don't have enough food for everybody. And Walken's like, no, I don't think so. So she's like, let's get every, you know, basically every keep in the north needs to be building up our grain supply yep. and we'll give it back when winter's ended. If we're, if it's not been used, but we need to make sure that if people are fleeing for safety, that we can take care of them. Yeah. She's on point, man. She's she is totally oh, stepped man. into this role. I mean, it just, it's so amazing. She's perfect for this. Like, yeah. And she even notices that they're not covering the blessed breastplates and leather to keep the soldiers warm when the real cold comes. Very impressive. Even and Royce, even bronze. Yon Royce. didn't realize it. Yeah. <laughs> So um, Lord Royce stops and, you know, is making sure that everything's being done correctly. Yep. And Baelish even says this. He's like, the command suits you. Yeah. The northerners are all facing north, worried about the threat beyond the wall. And she sounds like, yeah, they should be. Yeah, but, it's you know, you know, Sansa, I know Cersei than, better than anyone. And Sansa's like, what are you talking about? Are you seriously trying to tell me that the lady that conspired to kill my brother, my father, my mother is a threat? Like, thank you for that, Uh, Lord Baelish. Like, you're so valuable to me right now. And we see that it, like, the tide is turning and I think he's starting to squirm. Yeah, he is. He knows that his position is is precarious i think at this point yeah i would i would agree too he's complimenting her and stuff trying to stay on her good side giving her mm-hmm. advice and he had said that um i know betty cersei better than anyone here and sansa replied you don't know cersei better than anyone here but i think he does sansa is implying she knows cersei as well as Littlefinger i have does. to agree with you i think she's being a little presumptuous here baelish was an adult and in King's Landing for years working yeah, with Cersei. Totally. You knew her for a fairly short span of time. You probably didn't pick up on her shenanigans until you were like head deep into them. So, yeah, totally. Exactly. It's kind of like, come on, girl. Yeah. You know, that's that's way out of left field for you to presume that, you know, Cersei better than, than Baelish. Baelish. Yeah. So I thought that was interesting. I have to agree with you. So. I love, okay, I, again, transitions. I am so prepared to, like, scrutinize transitions in season eight. So we get Baelish here. He goes, don't fight in the north or the south. Fight every battle everywhere, always in your mind. And all the background noise disappears, so the, all the yep. focus is on Baelish's And it closes words. in on him. He goes, everyone is your enemy. Everyone is your friend. Every possible series of events events is happening all at once live that way and nothing will surprise you nothing will surprise you everything that happens will be something that you've seen before and she's kind of mesmerized by him here too huh um q bran coming in oh my god everything everything happens happens at once (laughs) i didn't even realize that lady sansa at the gate bran is there oh man what a yeah great call 
Yeah. So, and um, then, oh my God, I, she walks up to him, right? And he's sitting there and, uh, hello, on this gurney. Sansa. Hello, I'm Sansa. Like, Ew, why do you have to say it like that? Yeah, he's That's like, what... he's like Branable Lecter. I know. He's just like, just like Hannibal Lecter tied to the board, <laughs> like, like a prisoner <laughs> immobilized on a slab. Yeah, but also Ramsey says that to her when he's in the kennels. He goes, oh, true. Hello, Sansa. And it's like, Dude, if you could be even more of a creep, like talking about how beautiful she was the night she was fucking raped, right? Like you're gonna now echo you're like exactly what too. he says right before you killed the person that raped you. I, it was Bran wigs me out here. Yeah, he's he's fried, man. He looks totally emotionless. He is totally emotionless because she hugs him and he doesn't hug her back. He yeah. just lays there. I mean, he has like one arm, like kind of on her i mean around her but it's like it's like when your friends give you that like cheap ass half hug it's like when you <laughs> haven't seen him in years it's like dude give me a, a real hug man like i haven't uh-huh. seen you in and you're my sibling for christ's sake like give her a big hug please yeah. i'm a hugger so i hug everybody <laughs> but um you know then we cut to the weirwood tree oh my god so crazy. That weirwood tree. There's so much crazy shit that's happened there. And I know Rand's this is where we first there. see Ned polishing ice, like after the beheading in the pilot, for instance. You know. Yeah. And so Sansa's like, "I wish John was here." And Brand's like, "Yep, I need to speak to him." Yeah. Oh my god, so exciting! I can't wait <laughs> oh for that gosh. conversation. And Sansa's like wigging out because there's a male Stark back in Winterfell. I think she's. um Happy to see her brother, but is realizing that she has to give up this role that she's really stepped into and doing a good job about. Like, she feels like she has to give it to Bran because he's the oldest surviving son of Ned Stark. And he's like, girl, I can't be the lord of anything. I'm the three-eyed raven. She's like, she's like, uh, I don't know what that means. Yeah, she's like, Bran is weird now. (laughs) And he even says kind of what we just heard from Baelish. It means I can see everything, everything that's ever happened to anyone, everything that's happening right now. Human cheat code. It's like, it's all pieces, fragments. I need to learn my craft better. I need to be ready when the long night comes. Ugh. But it's so close to what Baelish said. I mean, they both yeah, said true. everything that's happening right now. So crazy. So <laughs> Sansa's is like, how do you know all of this? And he goes, the three-eyed raven told me. She's like, um... I thought you were the three-eyed raven. Yeah, you just said you were the three-eyed raven. He goes, it's complicated, okay? It's <laughs> fucking complicated. It's complicated. <laughs> Brand's Facebook status is, it's complicated. Uh, totally. <laughs> totally. She goes to say something. She says his name, and he interrupts her, and he goes, I'm sorry for all that's happened to you. Yeah. I'm sorry it had to happen here in our home. And I appreciated him saying that because that must be so difficult for her. Yeah, I couldn't imagine having to live where I was abused and beaten and raped like constantly for months and have to like live there and be there because it's my duty. You know, she didn't want to go back there in the first place either. Well, like, yeah, yeah, definitely. Yep. When Baelish was taking her up to the Boltons. Yeah, um, she's. She had said even to Robin Aaron that it's I don't really want to go back there. Right. Not with the Boltons there. Fuck no. Yeah. Um, and then we get creepy Bran. So creepy. It was so beautiful that night. 
the snow falling just like now. And it was, it's kind of like floats in the air. It's not yeah. really falling. I, I mean, I don't live in the snow and very soon I will be, but I don't, I don't think of snow like floating around like that. I think of it like falling to the ground. Oh, <laughs> it floats a bit. It depends, you know, yeah. Okay. Okay. Well, that's cool. Yeah. So it was, it's kind of like, I don't know if that's, I like have a video with the snow going upwards. Ew. Yeah. Crazy. It was, yeah, it's pretty crazy. I can't <laughs> wait to live in the snow. I'm so excited. I love weather and I live in a place where there's literally no weather. So. Oh, nice. Yeah. For the, the snow work going upwards video, I was in a, like a tall building in Chicago, I think it was. And I was shooting mm. video out of a window and the snow, I was like, probably a windy city. That makes sense. If there's like a ton of wind around that, well, it would blow up. Chicago is called the windy city because of windy politicians. Oh, I thought it was windy there. <laughs> it is a bit windy too, but it's because of the politicians. I've heard it's like super windy there though. <laughs> That's like because people say that windy. because they don't know why it's actually called the windy city. So they think they're oh. like being snarky and being like, dude, it was so windy there. Oh, got it. Okay. <laughs> <You know what laughs> <I mean? laughs> yeah. Um, so he continues and you were so beautiful in your white wedding dress. Oh and my God. We have seen that it's not necessarily tradition to wear a white dress in right. planet toast. Cause Marjorie doesn't wear one. Sansa doesn't wear one when she marries Joffrey. Right. Good point. Yeah. I hadn't thought about that. So the fact that he's noting the dress, I feel like maybe that color, like she knows that he saw it. And so she starts freaking out. I mean, she's yeah, like, she gets up. She's holding back so many tears. She's like, I have to get back inside. Gotta go. Like, I can't relive this. Like with you being so zero weird. emotion about it. Yeah. And Brand's like, just, just like you said, I'll zero emotion. Longer. Yeah, I'll stay a bit longer. Just like no comprehension of the chaos that he's creating in Sansa's mind right now. And all the emotions that he's stirring completely mm. oblivious, oblivious. It's crazy. Yeah, totally crazy. And Sansa's storming off like, what the fuck just happened? I know, happened? and she's holding, she has like huge tears in her eyes. Mm -hmm. Man, like, that was intense. She just can't process it at all. Oh, fuck, I can't okay. wait for season eight to come out. So excited. It's crazy. Yeah, that's all I got for notes. How about you? Anything else? Me too. I'm noteless right now. <laughs> cool. All right, stick with us, guys. We'll be right back after a short break. That's a Harmony project I wrote for school way back in the day in like 2006, probably. So I hope you enjoyed that. And we're back with news about Game of Thrones. In the biggest news for this episode, HBO has officially released episode runtimes. We're not going to go over the times here because we don't want to spoil anybody who may not want to know. But the information is out there. So if you're interested in learning the runtimes for upcoming season eight, go check it out. Do a Google search. Go to HBO. You'll find it. Did you hear that? I think so. Was that was that earthworms? I think it was a white raven, Duncan. Oh Winter is here. Winter is here. Ah! Fuck. <laughs> Sir Matthew of House Rep. Bayless has 
has some interesting words of advice for Sansa in this episode. Fight every battle everywhere, always in your mind. Everyone is your enemy. Everyone is your friend. Every possible series of events is all happening at once. Live that way and nothing will surprise you. Everything that happens will be something that you have seen before. No sooner as he says these words, who should show up but Bran, who literally has seen everything that has Uh. happened before. Oh, yes, you picked up on it, too. I love it. Classic. These transitions in the show, man, I'm telling you. Right, right. Gotta pay attention to him. Davos sure is quick to forgive Tyrion for his son dying in the Blackwater Bay. All's fair in love and war, I suppose. Brutal. It's true. I love that despite Ilaria suffering, Cersei's revenge original gangster Elena ultimately avoids the Queen's justice and dies on her own terms. Yes. Fuck yeah. So great. I mean, she doesn't necessarily die on her own terms. Jamie gives her the poison, you know. But she (laughs) is able to like take back control over like. She at least isn't tortured or put through something horrible at Cersei's behest. She also has the final word. She oh, gets yeah, the yeah, final yeah. word. Yep, that's it cool. was me. And it's like, that's so fucked to go back and be like, God damn it. Got some <laughs> I bad wish news, I wouldn't Cersei. have let Jamie <laughs> talk me out of torturing your ass. I wonder, I don't remember Jamie telling her. I wonder uh, if he actually does tell her. He does tell her. Um, oh, he does? Yes. Oh, man. Because she talks to him again. I think it's next episode or the episode after. I think it might be the episode after the loot train battle. Because she's like, fucking Tyrion, Tyrion this, Tyrion that. He fucking killed our son. And he goes, no, it was Elena. She told me when she died and I believed her. Oh, man. And the look on Cersei's face is, I mean, we'll get there. But yeah, I forgot. she does tell her for sure. Totally forgot about that. Lady Lucy of House Jane, who was first to comment. <laughs> wow, I'm first. <laughs> okay, I love all of the interactions between John and Tyrion, from the wry smiles to the way Tyrion looks sorry as John has to give up Longclaw. It's been so long since we saw them together, and they both have changed and been through so much since then. Love their walk over the pathway and the dragon flying overhead. Do you think that was orchestrated by Danny? I don't know if she has that type of control over the dragons where she can be like, go do this, go do that. <laughs> I think they sensed it. Yeah, I think they sensed him and wanted to scope him out. Yeah, yeah, me too. It's only just occurred to me that Davos knows Dragonstone better than anyone else present. I forgot to mention this. I was going to mention that too. It's basically him coming home. You know, he spent so much time there. Oh, damn. You know? Yeah. Yeah, Having spent so much time there with Stannis and the map room with the dragons on the wall is immense. I'm I'm really surprised that Stannis let those stay. The dragon maps not have them taken down like Robert. Well, maybe Stannis uh, never had any personal beef with House Targaryen. I think he was just so focused on his goal of becoming the, a part of the prophecy that it just, that was just a waste of time. Yeah. Was well, there so was a lot of time specific. leading up before he may have even heard about the prophecy. Um, like the 20 years or 17 years since the rebellion. Cause he, he, he was, he's been living at Dragonstone for a while. Uh, true. Oh, that's true. Yeah. Um, so he's had a lot of time to take him down. Maybe he just thinks it's they're like badass, you know? I mean, I I wouldn't want to trash that cool ass property. <laughs> I know. So cool. I mean, I In the books, don't. Dragonstone is even crazier. It's like the castle looks like giant stone dragons. It might be one of it might be one of my favorite castles, if not my favorite castles. In the books? Just in the oh, show just in general? or Do you remember the book the description? Books. It looks like giant stone dragons like coiled among each other and like Yes, so I remember crazy. that. There's a in Minecraft somebody built 
Westeros, like all of Westeros in <laughs> Minecraft and they built like Dragonstone and all that stuff. Yeah. I said somebody, but it's actually been a collaborative effort between hundreds of people. Uh, I think it's called Westeros Craft. You can join their server on PC online. My two-year-old son plays Minecraft. Nice. Um, <laughs> and Forza, the racing game. Oh, Forza. Cool. And on Sunday mornings, he gets to play some video games with dad. Sweet. Lady Lucy continues, I think the Varys Melisandre stuff is really interesting. He hates her so much. And I think the only time he is truly unnerved is when she talks to him or another red priestess. The one-liners between Danny and John are awesome. I love their whole exchange. And Davos doing his cheerleading routine for John, fan-fucking-tastic. The Euron parts fill me with anger, with equal anger and love. I hate the way he treats Yara, but love that he hasn't broken her. I love the stuff between him and Jamie. A finger in the bum <laughs> kills me every time with a couple laughing emojis. Yes, me too. Totally. Amazing. Cersei getting her revenge on Dorne is equal in its horror and its deservedness. Ever so slightly terrifying that Cersei now gives no fucks and does not give a shit who sees her and Jamie. Nice little brawn reference there. Give me ten good men and I'll impregnate the bitch. <laughs> Fuck yeah. <laughs> that part where we find out Jorah is cured gets me every time. I love that he has Sam's back, but also his reaction to Sam wanting to shake his hand. I'm guessing it's been a while since someone touched him by choice. Me too. Yeah, yeah. I agree. The end scene hurts my heart. I know Olena has done some awful things, but I love her so. I think this is the yes. first time we've seen her and Jamie talk, isn't it? Her last line is simply perfect. Tell Cersei, I want her to know it was me. And I'm really glad we don't see her die. Yeah, that's good too. Da, 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 da. It's the motherfucking deal double G. <laughs> Snoop Dogg. <laughs> Tyrell. Does anyone else keep thinking that every episode is the one that Arya gets back to Winterfell and then is disappointed all over again? Or is it just me? I swear I have that in my notes too. I was like, oh, is Arya about next to run? episode. Next episode, it's, sweet. Yeah, it, it's the same episode of um, the loot train battle. Oh, I just, man. I just remember that because I was like, damn. Another Stark returns to Winterfell and we get like that amazing battle. So I know for a fact that it's next episode. Sick. Looking forward to One that. Of, it's, it's between the Spoils of War episode and the Winds of Winter. Those are, I think, my top two favorite episodes. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. Good, that good battle picks. <laughs> good is picks just, for sure. <laughs> so good. Hmm. I'm looking forward to it. I can't wait. Me too. Sir Patrick of Hindsight. Varys comes back to Westeros with a tan, a nice shade of olive. This is possibly a hint that he's actually of Roynish descent. The Roynar were the second most powerful nation of magic wielders in Essos before the Valyrians finally conquered them. They were known for their olive skin tone. Some maesters say the people of Mir are descended from the Roynar due to their own distinctive olive complexion. Mir is where Varys was purchased by the sorcerer who cut him. The man must have recognized Varys, Varys as having royal blood. But was that because he had olive Roynar skin or did he have silvery black fire hair? Roynish blood might explain why the flame turned blue and the sorcerer cast his parts into it. The Roynar were a river people who wielded water magic. Olena openly admits that the only difference between her and Cersei is lack of imagination. Power is power, biznatch. Ares II would always visit Rayella for some hibbity-dibbity after he torched one of his enemies. 
poning the sand snakes makes Cersei horny for some Jamie flesh because she's a bastard. Am I right? Littlefinger fumbles to come up with something valuable to say, and eventually he lands on it, buys himself four more episodes. <laughs> I think Duncan is right about playing about Sansa playing hard to get, and this is her reason. She's squeezing him for all the lessons he can impart into her. The only value he has is as a tutor on how to play the game. Tyrion stands framed directly by the hearth as he talks reason into Danny. As she comes to see the wisdom of it, she wanders closer to the fire. As Tyrion talks to her about the dead, we can see that he is standing directly in the Bay of Hardhome relative to the painted table. Interesting. Very interesting. This is my first time noticing Euron's horse's amazing armor, that squid chaffron. I might be reading into this too much, but he's wearing the same colors as Danny. Ooh, Danny is still in her traditional Targaryen ahem, Nazi colors. <laughs> but as she warms up to John over this season, her wardrobe gradually shifts into stark gray. The Dothraki that postures at John as he takes his sword, he's sizing him up to see if he's a fighter or not. Or not. The guy who caught Jorah and Dario sneaking around Vice Dothrak, used the same posturing at Jorah. Knew he wasn't a merchant right away because Jorah didn't quint cringe away. <laughs> this seems to be the Dothraki Secret Service's visual pat-down. <laughs> Alright, thanks for writing in, everybody. Great to hear from you yeah, guys. Yeah, thank you guys. Alright, that's our show. Episode 105. Thanks for listening, everybody. Yes, thanks, you guys. We love you. Definitely. And a huge thank you to John Bailey, the epic voice guy from the Emmy-nominated Honest Trailers for announcing our show. If you'd like to donate to, or subscribe to support us, you can go to paypal.me slash gompodcast or patreon.com slash gompodcast to donate an amount of your choosing. There are links to both at gameofmicrophones.com. Doing some online shopping? Go to gameofmicrophones.com and click on our link to Amazon. As an Amazon associate, we earn from qualifying purchases. Any contribution you make helps, and you can help secure the continued existence of Game of Microphones. We'd like to thank our patrons, Sir Matthew of House Rep, Lady Lucy of House Roberts, Lady Candace of House Twos, Lady Terry of House Theodore, Lord Jeff of House Allen, Sirenicide, Lord John of House Grills, and Luke, the Low Duke. We'd also like to thank Lord Bryson of House Wolf for your generous donation. Thank you. Thanks, guys. We love you. And make sure to check out Sirenicide, the serialized horror drama podcast featuring me and Archmaster Stitches. Go to sirenicide.com and download it wherever you get your podcasts. We also want to give a huge thanks to Lady Lisa of House Sky, High Romancer. She has been key behind the scenes working to get our website, gameofmicrophones.com, up and running. And she's also a totally tubular artist. You can check out all of her work at fineartsbylisa.com. She's also on Instagram and Facebook slash fineartsbylisa. Next episode, we'll be covering season seven, episode four, the spoils of war. And you know what that means? The loot train battle inbound. (laughs) Yeah. Give it a watch. (laughs) Exactly. Give it a watch and send us your thoughts. We'd love to read them on air. If you'd like to call, you can call us at 813-JOFFREY. That's 813-563-3739. If you would like to write in, you can email us at ravens at gameofmicrophones.com. Check out our Facebook page at facebook.com slash gompodcast. Imp slap. Uh.
You can also listen to Game of Microphones on YouTube, BitChute, and Steemit. Just search for Game of Microphones to find our channel. Likes, comments, and shares are also greatly appreciated. We're also on Twitter, Instagram, Gab, and Minds at GOM Podcast. And we're on Tumblr, too, at Game of Microphones. All right, that's our show. Thanks for listening. Will there be pain? No, I made sure of that. That's good. I'd hate to die like your son, clawing at my neck, foam and bile spilling from my mouth, eyes blood red, skin purple. It must have been horrible for you as a Kingsguard, as a father. It was horrible enough for me. A shocking scene. Not at all what I intended. You see, I had never seen the poison work before. Tell Cersei. I want her to know it was me. Who drank the cup of poisoned wine? Olena. Oh, that's tough. <laughs> Who drank the cup of poisoned wine? <laughs> I was like, wait. <laughs> it's like the very last scene. So many things happen in this episode, too. Like the, oh my God, we're at a breakneck pace in season seven on Game of Thrones oh, for sure. Seriously. Like John's. And on Game of Microphones. <laughs> yeah, 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 definitely. So we asked Jamie for some advice. And Jamie's like, oh my advice. God. Does she like it gentle or rough? A finger in the bum. Oh my God. <laughs> Made me think of my friend, one of my friends from uh, from college. She would say, I've got me finger stuck in me bum. Oh I my God. I don't know why it just made me think of that. So when she kissed Tyene, I was like, oh fuck. Yeah. Like, holy shit. Oh no. Right? It is. There is a reason she's wearing lipstick. <laughs> and it goes back to that, what I mentioned last week, how um, Nymeria Whip Girl got hung by her own whip, strangled by her own whip. You know, Obara got imp- impaled on her own spear. This weapon that Ilaria has inflicted, um, had, had used against Cersei, killing her daughter, um, is now being used against Ilaria herself. The same method, Clever Kyburn figuring out that it was the, the, um, the long... Farewell. Good, good farewell, yeah. Alaria <laughs> single-handedly took out her daughter. Yep. She has someone to blame for that death. Like, I know she blames Tyrion for killing Joffrey, but I and think... And her mom. Deep, and her mom. And her mom. But I think deep and down... Her dad. Cer- <laughs> well, that was that was a true one, but... Um, <laughs> Make sure the guards change the torches every few hours. I don't want her to miss a thing. Yeah. I'm like, oh my fuck. <laughs> next level psychopathic twisted extreme shit, Cersei. Mm. Kind of a cool gig as an actress. Totally. <laughs> Cersei's little right hand handmaiden. <laughs> it's weird with a spelled weird spelled kind of weird too. W-Y-R-D. <laughs> Weirdleatherandmead.com. Check them out. He has some amazing stuff. Yeah, very talented. Tyrion's like, last time I was here, I killed my father. And Davos goes, last time I was here, you, you killed, killed my, my son. son. Oh, so brutal. We get a gorgeous drone shot. And there's a drone flying near John and Tyrion sort of giving us... It's like, it, it, first of all, this is a perspective we normally don't get. Drone shots flying around like this. 
like around people while they're doing no, stuff? No, not at all. Right. I loved it. So this shot serves a twofold purpose. One, it's showing off the amazing, incredible, unreal bridge location where they're shooting. Because I think is it's just a monastery. Gorgeous. It is, yes. Um, monas- yeah, monastery of San Juan de Gusta Lugace. San Juan. And so, uh, so <laughs> um, one, to show off the amazing location where they're filming. And two, the second purpose, hinting that there are dragons flying around, showing us a shot swooping past John and Tyrion, foreshadowing the imminent swoop of the dragon flying through. So ominous red woman music is playing. And Varys is like, what the fucking fuck? He's like, I hate those red priestesses. Telling me I'm going to die in this country. Yeah. Like, what do you know about my death, ho? Can you please just, like, give me the full story? On to the throne room next, right? Mm, Yeah. So epic. Beautiful shots of the throne room. Little dollop of Daisy on that throne. Yes. If she's all about these pledges and stuff, bend bend the knee, you know, then she would have to acknowledge John as being the rightful heir if she finds out the truth about John. I would... If she believes it to be true. Yeah, that's true. She may not believe it. Right. Yeah, she could be like, this is just fucking bullshit. Bran's making this shit up. But Bran, then again, would it be like, when you were 13, you like <laughs> something <laughs> happened to your pet <laughs> dragonfly. You know what I mean? And Danny would be like, oh my God, he knows everything. Davos, Davos is awesome, man. You know, he's like, no, we know you don't need our help for King's Landing. You got dragons. You could storm the city tomorrow and it would fall. Fuck. It's going like, to fall in a day. Yeah. It's like, we almost took it. We didn't even have dragons. Goddamn. And Tyrion's like, almost. Yeah. Tyrion equally as awesome as Davos. And there's something like she reminds me of like a child. Right. Right. Like. She's very still. She's not moving. There's this giant, it's very cold in there. It's very dark. Giant expanse of a room and nobody's around her. She's just right yeah. like, by herself. A just little like dollop this little of dollop. Daisy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, totally. And I loved that because she, I think it was last episode that she says, I don't want to be queen of the ashes. Yes, this str- very strongly parallels what Tyrion had said to her. You don't want to be queen of the ashes. She also does not want to be queen of the graveyard. Never happened. Yeah, the Dothraki have never crossed the sea. The wildlings have never crossed the wall, you know. So uh, it's just funny, though, that he's prodding him with his stick. <laughs> it's, it's pretty great. Jorah's like, um, I don't know anything about that. I just started feeling better. <laughs> yeah. It was probably the rest or maybe the climate. Oh, and- my God. Tywin had built up Casterly Rock, um, like in their house from nothing. He's He built their army. He built... Casterly Rock the way it is now, but he didn't build the sewers. Tyrion was in charge of that. And he turns out that Tyrion built a secret whore passageway (laughs) for himself, (laughs) which is a sneaky little way that they could go through this little crevice in the rocks down at the waterline. Very, very sneaky, sir. And sneak up through a guard tower where it connects. Sneaky, sneaky, sir. And this is where Tyrion throws in his awesome brawn reference. He says, Casterly Rock, the impregnable fortress. But as a good friend of mine once said, give me 10 good men and I'll impregnate the bitch. (laughs) Love it. She asks, is it done? So sad. Oh, man. Such a brutal question. (sighs) Yes, it is. And now the rains weep o'er our halls. 
Oh my God, that's hilarious. So he kind of learned from his mistake with Rob. Yeah, lure him into one place and then your army's an entirely different place. <laughs> and you fuck him on the other side. Yep. And I, we find that Jamie wields Widow's Whale. Widow's Whale, yeah. <laughs> he really was a cunt, wasn't he? Oh, you can always <laughs> count on Olena. <laughs> he doesn't want to see her tortured or in pain. Like, he's at least making it as painless as possible, right? Because he doesn't think she has anything to do with Joffrey's death. <laughs> exactly. So he's sympathetic to her, and he's making a point of telling her that he's sympathetic to her on some level. So then the, when he learns the truth, it's even more of a slap in his face. He's like, I, you know, I'm so, I was surprised that he didn't pull out Widow's Whale and cut her head off. Oh, really? Yeah, I thought that that sword was going to come out when she confessed. Oh, damn. Why not? That would have been poetic. It is. It was Joffrey's sword. Right. And he imagine I think that's how mad why she was asking if that was Joffrey's sword because she didn't want to die by it. I love when he says, you make me feel like I'm failing at brooding over failing. <laughs> he has such a great line. He's such a it's wordsmith. It's so fucking awesome. Yeah, it's, it's amazing. And then we cut to Danny in dragon glass. Yes. Volcanic glass. Obsidian. He says you have a tremendous amount of it here. <laughs> Why are we talking about glass, Tyrion? Uh, yeah, we just lost two major allies. This is why I'm talking to Jon Snow, girlfriend. <laughs> yeah. And what does the king in the north want with all this dragon glass? Well, it can be turned into weapons to kill the White Walkers that he's so freak, like freaking out about. Like, or, or destroy them or something. I'm not sure about the nomenclature. Whatever the nomenclature <laughs> is for that whole situation. Like it's, it's another little clue for when we when J Danny does find out the truth, all these little things are going to pop into place and it's, she's going to know that John is really Rhaegar's son based oh, on these little God. details. You know, the dragons liking him, the fact that he is good at killing, but doesn't like it. But doesn't like melancholy it. Melancholy yeah. demeanor. She know. will not be able to deny it. Yeah. Because we get we get that next episode in the cave where they get really close and you can just kind of feel the heat between them. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> so I think she's purposely like not looking at him because he makes her... Um, Fiery in her loins. Uh, yeah, uncomfortable, like nervous. Right. Her stomach's fluttering. and Yeah, it's just an, a sensation that she probably wasn't expecting to have with him. So That's so funny, yeah, because she's going to realize that he's everything that she wants, you know? <laughs> uh, yeah. In terms of strategic value and just as a, as a hunk of man meat. A man, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then, oh my God, I, she walks up to him, right? And he's sitting there and, uh, on this gurney. Sansa. Hello, I'm Sansa. Like, Ew, why do you have to say it like that? Yeah, he's That's like he's like Brannibal Lecter. I know. He's just like just like Hannibal Lecter tied to the board, like like a prisoner, <laughs> immobilized on a slab. <laughs> Sansa's like, how do you know all of this? And he goes, the Three Eyed Raven told me. She's like, um, I thought you were the Three Eyed Raven. <laughs> yeah, you just said you were the Three Eyed Raven. He goes. It's complicated, okay? It's fucking complicated. It's complicated. <laughs> Brand's Facebook status is, it's complicated. Uh, totally. <laughs> totally. Da-da-da-da-da. It's the motherfucking D-O-double-G. Snoop Dogg. <laughs> Tyrell. 
Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.